Welcome, everyone. This is Jim Collins with another episode of Journey to the Pit. Uh, uh, we have another great guest here tonight, and uh, I had advertised it with, along with the other uh, guests that we had in this 10 series marathon, 10 interviews back to back to back, you know, something to help us deal with the stress of this quarantine of us being, you know, boggled down and not being able to move. Give us something else to talk about, conversate about and think about other than this coronavirus. So we got Claude coming on here, Claude Vaughn from Little. Uh, Little Creek Farm, located in Alabama. We're going to have him come on the show in a second, um, and he's going to take us on his journey. A lot of y'all guys out there know him, um, and the ones that don't, I think you'll really enjoy this interview. Uh, Claude is going to get into a lot of the um, you know, techniques and, and methods that he used on his farm. A lot of y'all guys know him from the birds that he produced. Uh, Claude has also traveled you know, to other countries to compete, so we'll kind of also talk about that. So, uh, we're going to do a mic check just to make sure everybody, as soon as somebody tune in, y'all guys can just let me know if everything is good as far as on the audio and video. We'll go ahead and bring on Claude in and then we'll get this interview started. All righty, guys. So we're going to wait. Claude, give me a few minutes and we're going to get this interview started in a second. The software looked like it's dragging. I think it may be the Wi-Fi because it looked like it's a little low on my end. Um, but, yeah, give me about 15 seconds, and we'll go ahead and bring everybody in. i just like to make sure that everybody can hear and see everything uh, before we bring you on in here. Look like everything is good. We got a few people coming on in right now. Um, guys, if y'all can go ahead and just comment, let me know that everything is good on audio and video. It looks like I had this. I did have to switch uh, links to the camera, but I don't want to go ahead and go through this interview if nobody's able to see it. All right, we got a couple guys coming in now. I just need somebody to comment. Let's see here. Thought I'm going to bring you in in a second. Alrighty, alrighty. It looks like uh look like it's coming in. All right, Claude, I'm gonna go ahead and bring you on, man. It looks like the uh internet is kind of dragging. It's not allowing the comments to come in. But all y'all out there watching, we bring in Claude from Little Creek Farm down in Alabama. It's gonna be another awesome episode tonight. You know, a lot of y'all guys know Claude uh from the birds that he produced, but he's been in the sport a long time. Another young and up-and-comer. I ain't gonna say really up and coming because he's kind of well, he's kind of already there, but uh, I know he's still got a lot that he's willing to uh, that he plan on producing. But let me go ahead and bring Claude in on the show, guys. And I know the comment section is kind of dragging. I haven't been able to see the comments yet, but we'll see. But we're not going to hold this interview up any longer. So let me go ahead and bring our special guest in tonight. Three, two, one. Claude, how you doing this evening, brother? I'm doing good, Jim. I lost you, though. I got a black screen on my end. You got can, a black screen on your end, huh? Yeah, I can't see you. I can see my little box, but that's it. All right, you got it to phone straight up and down or sideways? Sideways, just like it was a while ago. I hadn't moved it. Okay, give me two seconds, brother. We're going to have to try this, retry this all over again. Just hold tight. 
frustrating. Alrighty, how, how I'm looking now. Claude, can you see me? Yeah, I got you now. Okay, you got me now? Yes, sir. All right, you can hear video and audio is good, right? Everything's perfect, yep. All right, man, we having a little technical difficulties tonight because the comment section is still not coming up, but that's fine, though. But listen, brother, let's go ahead and get started, man. All I'll right. With the disclaimer, all the information discussed in this interview is for historical, educational, and entertainment purposes only. None of this information is intended for any illegal purposes, and all opinions are respected of the individual. So, Mr. Vaughn, let's go ahead and start off, man, with telling us, the viewers tonight, you know, a little bit about yourself, first generation, second generation, you know, how did it all start for you with these game fouls? All right. Um, I'm kind of, I guess you'd say I'm a third generation cocker. My granddad okay. fooled around with them and raced thoroughbred horses, and that's what got us into it. Um, wow. Dad, my dad dabbled around with it, and when I was a kid, probably about eight or nine maybe, he uh, he got out of it. My mom kind of kind of forced him out of it for a long time. And as soon as I got out of the house, I went to college. I moved just by luck. I moved two miles down the road from a guy named Hoss, Dog Island Game Farm. And it wasn't – Okay. I mean, it, it wasn't a month. And I was down there feeding roosters and cleaning water cups, and I was right back in it as thick as we'd ever been in – or thicker, really, than either my granddad or my dad. So wow. So basically when you graduated, you moved 15 minutes down the street from a, from a, from a game fire breeder. Closer than that, he was probably five minutes. He was about two miles. And uh, wow. I, I, I lived in a little trailer, a little single-wide trailer in the middle of a cotton field and uh, talked my landlord into putting some hot fence up and put some teepees up. And he had an old, old tobacco barn about a half a mile down the road, and I put some little fly pins in it. And But mostly everything I did was with Hoss, that dog island game for him. I, I fed for him and cleaned water cups for him and, and – Really, for about two years there, he was he was kind of my mentor. You know, really got me started with a real passion. Wow. And even from the time I was a little kid, I grew up around it. But you know, there was about a eight to ten year stretch right there. There were we didn't have any roosters at all. And wow. uh, as soon as I as soon as I got freedom from from mom, it was on. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You said as soon as you kind of branched out on your own, man, you was yep. back in the game, huh? Yep, that was it. I mean, that's for two years there. I was down there at college, and I was five hours away from home, you know. And uh, right. when I got back into it, I went back to some of the old men that Dad had given some of his roosters to when he got out, and I got some okay. of that blood back. And we played around with it here and there, but I mean, it was for the most part, it was bred out. It wasn't, and I don't know if it was ever. You know, everything's always better years past, you know, but it wasn't. That's right. It, it wasn't top level competition kind of families then. So that's right. but that was in that's 2006. Right. I got the grays from, from Hoss and, uh, and hadn't looked back. I've had them, I've had them ever since when we got back into it. So. Good. So, so, so tell me this Claude. So like you say, you know, y'all dip it in dab, you know, when you was growing up with different bloodlines between your grandfather and your father. Uh, but when you graduate from college, you move and, and where you stand by yourself with the single wide out in the cotton field. Is that, was that no, just you? I had a, yeah, I had a roommate who is now, he is a game warden down there. And, uh, wow. but yeah, I went to school. I went to school to be a wildlife biologist. That's what I went to school for. And it's just so happy. My roommate, he went on into law enforcement and I went into the, to the biologist field and, uh, yeah, yeah, just I mean, I was I was living right down the road from Hoss. We had to go. We had to drive right by his house to come home every day. 
And uh, man, it didn't take two, three weeks of that. I whipped it right in there one day when I saw him in the yard, introduced myself, and he right. actually gave me he gave me a cock that they had fought. And uh, which that was back in 06. It was legal in Louisiana right. then. And he had a gray right. cock. And uh, I really don't know what that cock was. He was a, probably a gray hatch gray or something uh-huh. like that. But he was yellow legged and he'd been fought. And he was pretty hurt. And Hoss told right. me he kind of was nursing him back, you know. And he told me, he said, I tell you what, you take that old rooster right there. You take him home and heal him up. See what you can do with him. And I took him home, right. took him to that trailer, and he lived in the room with me there for a couple of weeks and gave him antibiotics and penicillin, you know, and worked on him and got him back yeah. up and going. And that's how we got started. When I when I showed back up with that rooster with Hoss, that's when he kind of kind of accepted me into the clan. You know, he knew I was serious. You know, it was kind of like right. a test, you know. That's right, man. And you passed so, the test by going in, putting in all that work in a bird that looked like it was on his last leg, and you brought that, yeah. you put in the effort. You didn't just chuck him over in a corner somewhere. You actually put in the effort and brought that thing back, huh? Oh, yeah. 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 I called first thing I did, got on the phone and called dad, and he he got me some penicillin and, you know, some right. vitamins and stuff, start taking care of right. him, and it wasn't long. That old rooster bounced back. I had him for a couple of years. I never bred him or did anything with him. He was just old cross cock, you know, but right. that was the first first one I got. And, uh, you know, funny thing about Hoss, what really what really kicked me in, in a passion of it, when I left college down there, see, Hoss never gave me a hen. I had to go to his old partner and buy a hen, one of the great hens. Hoss would never give me one that that time. He told me when I was what? leaving, he said, he said, son, you ain't going to stick with game foul. You're going to grow up. You're going to find you a girl. You're going to go off and have a kid. <laughs> You'll never think about chickens again. And he sent me with a cock, a pure cock. And I drove about 40 minutes to his old partner who was pretty much out of chickens at the time. Right. And right. Uh, he was a real cool old guy. Silver Dollar is who they call him. Frank Attaway is his name. He's an old black uh-huh. man down there in South Georgia. And uh-huh, I had to climb uh-huh, up uh-huh. in the top of a, a cedar tree and get that hen out for $50, little gray hen. And uh, that was it. Yep. Wow. And then in, in years since, you know, Hoss is, he's given me all kinds of stuff. I've, I've went and picked up shows from him and everything else. But as far as at that time, like he's, he's just a funny individual. You know, you gotta, you gotta prove yourself to him. You know what I mean? That's and, right. yeah, and I fought with him for two years. Knocks, huh? Yep. Yep. He was, he's, wow. he was, he was hard on him. He's the one that taught me, you know, you got to take care of them 365 right. days a year. And, That's right. But you got to be hard on them. He would sh- show them into each other. His broodcocks would be seven or eight-time winners, you know. And uh, wow. it, wasn't, it wasn't nothing for him to pull one out of the brood pen and heal him up and, and show him right there on the yard, you know, just to make him prove it right. one more time. He was rough on them. He was hard. He was, huh? But, yeah, but that's why they're so good today. You know, I mean, he he if he had it, it was something that was worth having. You know, me and him only we'd only go to three or four derbies a year. But I think that first year we went to four derbies and we soloed it three times, and I think we dropped our money fight on the fourth one. But he wow. was real tough. Yeah, yeah, wow. he was tough. So, so- that, so that's amazing. So the great thing about that is that's where you got your well, I ain't gonna say got your start, but kinda from what you were saying, kinda got like your your restart. As an adult. Yeah, as an adult, as an yeah. Adult. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was it. Wow. I thought I was something. Boy, it, it wasn't good for my head. It had me uh well, I, I had money all the time taking girls out yeah. on dates. I always had pockets <laughs> full of cash. I didn't I they couldn't do nothing with me. So <laughs> It, it took it took getting off on my own and learning that it ain't always that easy, you know. That right. Winning, 
it don't always come like that. You got that right. Hey, so it kind of gave you a little misconception, right? You know what I mean? You didn't oh, know yeah. you was you was running, you was rolling up in there with somebody who had decades of experience on his belt, had a lot of losses under his belt, and figured it out how to get sometime more wins and losses. And when you well, stepped in there, that he had already figured the plan out. So you thinking, mm-hmm. hey, this is how it always is. And when you stepped yeah. out there on your own, you got to scratch your head like, hmm. It ain't easy to solo three in a row no more, huh? <laughs> no. Well, the thing is, you know, and this is what I didn't realize at the time. We're taking roosters that he's probably already whooped three or four of his brothers. You know what I mean? We didn't show up oh. with a derby with fresh cocks that ain't never been shown. We were showing up with bad, bad son of guns. And I didn't wow. take that into account. So when I got off on my own, I go to showing every weekend and this and that. And right. it's where you got to learn to be real hard on them. You got to select. That's the biggest key to winning Winning today in today's competition is selection. Mm-hmm. I don't care how you feed, what you mm-hmm. do, what bloodlines you got. If you're really hard mm-hmm. on them and selecting, you select the winners, you're going to do good. That's what it comes you down to. You know what, Claude, you you are exactly, you know, and, and I'm just speaking from my opinion. I, I, I agree with you 100 percent, you know, um, and, and you're right. It doesn't matter how you feed and, you know, because at the base of you talking about kind of like at the base, we're assuming everybody's taking care of their birds the right way, doing them the right way and all that. At the end of the day, it's going to come down to that selection. And you're exactly right. That's kind of what Dr. Uh, Fabio, when he came on. He talked about the same thing. He said, listen, I don't show many. I don't have many. But the ones that I show are ones that I have shown into their own brothers here at the farm. And the mm-hmm. one that went after the, out of the own brother, that's the one I'm taking and the other one is not going. And, and he was yeah. the first one ever. And I'll be honest, you're the second person. But he was the first one ever that I have even heard of saying, what? You show me to? He's like, yeah, I show me. I don't have a whole bunch. I don't need a whole bunch for the whole season because the one I'm going to bring is going to be some monsters. You know, at least yep. they're going to be the best that I have. You know, they might not beat everybody, but they're going to be the best that I have. So if they ain't winning, then I don't have anything on the yard that, that can win because this right. is going to be the best. So he does. He done the same thing, huh? He was showing yep. to the brothers. Yeah. And I don't do that now. I mean, I don't I don't necessarily subscribe to that, but now I am hard on them. I mean, it's I, I, me and DJ, my farmhand, Dustin Renato. He uh, we were going through some yesterday and one of them, we, we set him down. He turned back and looked at me. And I, I said, well, we picked him up. Didn't even, you know, instantly picked him up. And we, we built him up again, set him down. He turned and looked at me again. I said, nope, wound him up. That's Done it. Deal. You yep, you can't. I mean, and honestly, yep. who taught me that was James Sylvester. Walking the yard with James Sylvester, if it has a bad day on his yard, it's a bad day because he don't he don't keep drunk. <laughs> period. And that's the truth. I mean. That's amazing, you know, man. You know, James sells them for fifteen hundred a piece, and I've right. seen him kill roosters that were decent roosters that he could have sold and right. got good money for. But they don't have a bad day on his place; they don't get that opportunity. That's right, and you know, everybody out there watching, I don't, know, I don't know, Claude, if you can see the comments or not, but um, all y'all guys out there watching, really pay attention to what Claude is saying. Again, agree or disagree, still pay attention. Take any information because a lot of the techniques and tactics that he's talking about is something that the things that he was taught from the old timers, you know, um, and, and, and guys, not only just the old timers, but they were successful, extremely successful, had very, very hard birds, birds that we will all be. It, it will be a pleasure to have those birds on our yard. But just listen to the tactics, man, that he was taught growing up and coming into this sport, man. It, 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 it does make a difference. Like I say, you're the second person. And now you're just telling me the people that 
kind of taught you that same thing or you've seen them exercise the same techniques that you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's I've been lucky. You talk about coming up in this sport. I didn't. I mean, I wasn't raised around a bunch of great rooster fighters. You know what I mean? That's not that's not who I was raised around. We were backyard, always kind of, you know, nothing big, nothing special. We had fun, you know, and it was always about fun, but it wasn't about going to big derbies and this and that. Right. But when I started since 2006 and a lot Mm -hmm. of it's got to do with them little grays I got, they when you have good chickens, it'll forge you opportunities to meet people and go places that you didn't think you could ever go. That's right. Like I was working exactly right. I was working up in uh, up in North Alabama on a project with my job and we needed to Mm -hmm. find some land to work on. We were actually trapping raccoons and I called James Sylvester out of the blue. This was five or six years ago. Right. And uh, I didn't really know him. You know, I'd seen him around here and there and, and, right. you know, didn't really know him. Almost intimidated, you know, because he's James Sylvester, right. you know. Right. Well, I called him <laughs> up and told him, look, I'm going to be trapping raccoons. You might want, you might have some places you want me to try to get some out of. He said, oh, yeah, come up here. So right. I started going up there and every morning I'd meet him about five thirty, six o'clock at his house and he'd have a cup of coffee sitting on the front porch. He'd jump in the truck with me. We'd run around and set traps and all morning long, hang out with each other and then go home and see, you know, to drop him back off by the house. And he got me all kinds of places I could catch coons, you know, and uh, wow. that's where me and his relationship got started. Just blind luck, you know, but I've learned a lot from him. a lot of how I feed today comes from James. There's a lot of it bits and pieces that i picked up from him you know right so that's right that's why the other day when you were having that conversation with him and you know you know how facebook is everybody's got their opinion and this and that and saying how it was it's funny because i yeah. fed that way i know how that way is and it's not what most people think you know right so. right and see that that's uh, and like i say all the viewers out there like i say listen to this information but it is amazing how that all started Trapping raccoons, you had to go up there for work to trap some raccoons. He happened to be in that area. Let me get this guy a call. Never really talked to him, seen him out and about around gathers and stuff like that. But let me get in touch with him. And then that started a relationship from that point on. Now y'all guys are riding in a truck, talking chickens the whole time while y'all, I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. while y'all looking for places to, 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 to yep. set traps for the raccoons, talking chickens the whole time. So, and the interview is all about you, but how was that experience, man, riding around? Like, did you get a whole bunch of aha moments? Like, oh, man, wow, I didn't, you know what, I never thought about that. Did you get a lot of those moments? The One of the things I live by today, I learned from that, and that was James told me, he said, baby, he said, you got to be hard on them. You got to be good to them, but you got to be hard on them. And he's right. right. That's a hunt. You got to take care of them and love them, but you got you to gotta right. grade them like your life depends on it because it does making right. money left or right winning or losing depends on how hard you are on them chickens as far as not lying to yourself so many people today they get roosters and they lie to themselves you know i yep. mean it's uh yep. that's what happens i agree you know? i, I so. agree not only that claude just to even you know compliment what you just said it seems like to me and i said this you know and i don't say it much because i know it, it, it kind of rubs people the wrong way but it seems like to me sometime the more space people have the more lenient they are on their chicken sometimes. You know what I mean? It seems mm-hmm. like, you know, they get more space, you know, they, they, they move to a bigger lot. You know, I, I was on five acres. Now I got 20. Now I could do this, this and that. And I'm telling you, I have seen from years of experience and I have been to hundreds of farms. The grade starts to go down because in my opinion, they start keeping roosters 
that they would normally not keep if they was limited on space. You know, if they got right. 400 TPs or 400 spots, you know, and now they're going to a space where they can have 800 or 900, I promise you, those other three or 400 extra ones they have on that yard ain't going to be as good as those first three or 400 that they have. And again, I'm just saying from my experience, man, um, from what you're saying, people do start to kind of get a little delusional and start thinking, oh, that's oh, decent. It's not, it's like, what you think? It's not just oh, that. Man. Once you get once you get to a certain size, it's so much work. Like right now, we're going to hatch a, probably about 1,200, 1,300 babies this year. And that's wow. that's hatched in, in the brooders, you know. And that's, wow. man, that is a job. And that's not that many. That, man, there's people that raise three, four, five times that easy. Now, you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. I think exactly. Jason's up. I think Gator's up to four or five thousand right now. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, and and it takes so much dedication, and it takes mm-hmm. unless you're a certain kind of person, like Gator is a perfect right. example. Unless you have that, just really, um, what is it? OCD, I think is mm-hmm. is what it is. Yeah. That's what Jason's yeah. got, and that's why he's good at it. Because because he can't right. live with anything less than what it's supposed to be, no matter how exactly. many he gets. I'll be honest with you, I'm lazy. If I had three thousand, I promise you it wouldn't be they wouldn't be as good. Like I'm about where I can be at. Twelve hundred, thirteen hundred babies. It's a job. Me and Crystal get up. Crystal gets up more than I do, but she gets up first hour and a half every morning. She's scraping chick trays, giving them fresh water, food. It's a job. Right. And that's just the babies. That's not even including stags and cocks and everything else along with it. Right. You know? It's a lot so, of work, dude. It is a lot of work. I haven't been on those big farms. And I'm going to tell you right now, I couldn't have them. I'm kind of like you. I don't want them. Three, four thousand. No, they can have all that, man. That is just way too much work, man. It's a whole different yeah. mindset when you got all those birds, man. You know, it's, a, it's, it's like a totally different mindset that you have to have. And you got to have a totally different group of hands like help. You know, all, all help. You know, they might be good on three or four hundred. But you put them on a farm with fifteen hundred, two thousand. You know, the quality of work sometimes kind of goes down. But it's good that you know your limit. Like you say, 12, 1300, that's pretty much where you want to stay because you kind of know, man, this is a lot of work. And not just yep. the biddies. You got the stags, you got the hens, you got the cocks, and then you got all the stuff that's going wrong. Because when you got that many birds, man, something's going wrong every single day. Every day yep. something's going wrong. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's unreal. I mean, it baby there's nothing in the world like baby game chickens they want to die for an animal that makes its living not dying they want to die worse than anything in the world and that's just the way it is it's baby chicks are you know constantly if you're not if you're not paying attention to them every day every single day and and jason told me that this morning we're talking about with all this going on the virus and everything talking about having our antibiotics and our coccidiosis stuff all that stuff in order you know having all our vaccines enough so we can finish out the chick season and stuff like that right and he's like he's i'm telling you you better have it because and i told him i was like man what happens if you know say we get don't have enough coccidiosis stuff and coccidiosis is he said all we can do is have it on hand because in 12 hours that whole baby chick situation can change, and it's true. You can they can go from perfect to looking like dog crap Death. in twelve hours that quick. In twelve yep. hours, yeah. But wow. you can go to bed that night, a big storm roll through, bunch of rain, just you know, a bad combination hit, and all of a sudden, man, you're in trouble. You know, and you're you're fighting a losing battle at that point. Fighting so, a losing battle at that point. So that, that if you're that's not ready. Yeah, exactly. And, that, and that's the amazing part. And, and like I just said, 
not only just taking care of the biddies, but it's all the things that can go wrong. So you can go to sleep. Everything's good. Biddies are good. Yards clean. Everything's secure. Everything's good. Wake up the next morning. You open up the door and you got three, four hundred biddies looking like they're ready to just fall over. Yep. It can happen. It's rough. <laughs> it's a rough it game. <laughs> it's a rough it game. It is rough, man. And it, and it takes a lot. So tell me this, Claude. You have to learn different things when you go from two, three hundred, you know, to five, six hundred to thirteen hundred. You know, you got to even change your system when you got. Oh, yeah. When you as you're growing. Right. Oh, yeah, for sure. This year we're going to we're going to hatch off and put more through the brooders, more on the yard this year than we ever have. And to do it, honestly, I've just about mirrored Jason's program. Everything right. Jason does, I've tried to mirror it to a T. I've done a few things different, but for the most part, like, as I mean, he set up, like I told you, he's the best at it I've ever seen of, as far right. as raising babies and keeping them healthy. He's right. by far, right. he's a walking encyclopedia. And that's another one. You know, you talk about people you run into that makes makes your life easy and, and puts you right. in a position to win. He's one of those that, I don't know, me and him started talking five or six years ago. Longer than that now. It was when I was in South Carolina, so it would have been in, in 2011, so about nine years ago now. And, about uh, nine years. Yep, we've been talking, and we talk. I mean, I talk to him for an hour, hour and a half every day and have for nine years. Like, there's a lot of information that I've got from him, you know, yes. and stuff. And that's all. I, when I started getting bigger and bigger, I had to start doing, and it costs money. I mean, it's not – if anybody wants to have a big farm where you can sell a hundred or 200 stags and still keep a hundred or 200 back for yourself, right. you're going to have to put money into it. You can't do it and have a hodgepodge of this and that. You got to have right. things easy. Cause for me, right. especially, like I said, I don't like to work, you know, that's not, right. that's not what I want to do. So it's right. got to be where I, I want to get out there and do it. Things have to be nice and in order. And, and if it's like that, it's a lot easier to go do it. If you're, you that's know, true. if you got, you know, pins not lined up just as simple as how you used to i used to have my pins i had them you know where i could keep them on fresh grass they weren't always in straight lines you know right and i could always move them around keep them on fresh grass but when you got a hundred of them like that you can't just walk through and feed them and you got 300 of them like that you sure can't just walk through and feed them you'll miss a rooster here or there it gets aggravating you know so now i've gone to having all my pins lined up putting sand in the pins so they stay dry and it just it is what it is. That's why we feed an alfalfa pellet, you know. Wow. So, so that that's amazing, man. And Gator is beyond. Like I say, Gator uh opened a lot of doors for me. Gator has opened yeah. a lot of doors for me when a lot of people wouldn't even respond. You know, I would send yeah. them a message, they wouldn't respond. But Gator didn't know me from a can of paint. Um, I was in Puerto Rico. He knew I wasn't trying to buy any American game fowl. And that dude would still answer my messages and everything, inviting me out to the barbecue. And uh, yeah. I'm telling you, that dude has he has opened a lot of doors for me, man. A lot. Oh, that dude is a good, good guy, man. A yeah. good guy. He's next level for sure. I mean, it's yeah, a different. Yeah, he's definitely next level on Anything... ethics, integrity, all that stuff. Yeah. Anything I got a question about something, I just I'll call him and even if he don't know, he'll be like, Well, he'll give me an idea, you know what I mean? And even like, you know, last time, not too long ago, we won a we won a six cop. And like Jason was there, he got knocked out early. And then I'm like, he was over there gambling, you know, having a good time, this and that. I was like, uh uh. 
you gotta come hang out with me because you gotta you gotta coach my man along. You know what I mean? Like he sees stuff that other people just can't see. You know what I mean? That's right. And That's uh, right. he's if you got anybody in your corner that you want in your corner, he's the one. Like he's a good one. He's a real good one. Yes, he is, so. man. He's a good person. First and foremost, that dude's a good person, man. A good person. Yep. And, you know, obviously I don't have any American foul. His foul is beautiful. His facility is beautiful. And I know it takes a lot of work to keep that place looking like that, period. Yeah. But, um, and I tell you, something he's got, you know, is is a lot of people, you know, probably not overlooking, but they don't think about. But Mike that works for Gator, Mike oh, Kirkland. Yeah. He's as good a rooster man as ever lived. He's a he's super slick. I learned stuff from him this year. You know what I mean? That that I had never thought of before. You know, and you it's just pretty sure, man. Mike ain't it ain't his for I don't even think, I mean, like I say, man, I haven't had many conversations with Mike, um, but I have talked to a lot of people who know Mike. And like that dude is deep. He has a lot of experience. And that's why that farm looks so good. I mean, Gate ain't out there all by himself, got that place nope. like that. And anybody who go out there already know, you know, that's what it is. You know, that's a that's a whole team operation out there. And both of those guys are extremely good at what they do. And that's why yeah. that place looks like that. So and no, you said you just sure. kind of take tips and techniques and advice and feedback from them and kind of model your system after that, huh? Yep. That's what I've tried to do as best as I can, you know. And it I, when it come time, when it come time to hatch babies this year, I went ahead because see the last two or three years I've paid people to hatch for me. I've had oh, people did. that, and I was fortunate. Yeah, they would hatch them, raise them up to six, seven weeks old. I could go pick them up, bring them home, and I'd raise right. them here. Well, okay. that deal fell. That deal kind of fell through. They got busy, work took them other places, and honestly, that's probably right. the best thing that could have ever happen to me because now it's all in house. I'm all. I'm doing it all from start to finish. Well, when I did that this year, I'm lucky. You know, I've, I've got the transport right. business. So I've right. been able to spend some money this year where I normally right. wouldn't be able to because I'm, I'm hauling right. here and there and making a little right. money on the side right. so I can put that right. back into the farm. And so I built, right. I, I bought a 30 foot by 12 foot barn and I turned it into a, a chick hatching facility, is what I did. And uh, had it insulated from, from, you know, full foam insulated. I got, big stackable gqf brooders and i got two real nice incubators and uh right. big incubators they hold like 11 1200 eggs a piece one incubator wow. and one hatcher yep big ones and so that's what wow. that's what it started because now i got a nice barn out there that i want to go hang out in you know it's not so bad i'll go out there and sit yeah. and look at my babies and hear the incubator running and it's just a it's a happy place you want to be there you know what i mean so wow so, so, so tell me this, Claude. So, you know, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about your bloodlines, um, that you have. And, and I know you said you got them from Halls, but did you just carry over what he gave you or how did you create your own line or set your own lines that you, first of all, how many lines do you have? Basically four, uh, four or five. I've got the whites and I've got the Sid Taylors, but the, really the, most of what I make is the Kelsos and the Grays, and then I got my family of McLeans. And the McLeans, I cross, I either keep them pure or I cross them with the blacks. And uh, the the whites, I'll uh, the whites I'll cross with the Kelsos or, or keep them pure as well. But uh, basically, the Grays and the Kelsos, that's my two. I raise more, show more, make more of them than than any by. Ninety percent is going to be those two, either pure Kelsos, which I don't show pure. They're they're strictly for crossing, and the Grays, which I do show pure, and then the cross of the two. But the Gray Kelsos so, have been real good to me. 
They have, huh? So tell us, uh, tell us, well, uh, I guess tell us a little history about the Grays. I mean, how long have you had them? You said since 2006, uh, was it? 2006, and uh, they come from, from Hoss down there at Dog Island, brought them, and I got the hen from Frank, and uh, mm-hmm. so, so I had that pair is what I started with. We started, you know, showing here and there and doing good, and as I started doing better and better, Hoss would send me a hen or pullets or stags, you know, right. and it just kind of, as I proved myself, I was able to get more and more. And uh, now, I mean, every year he'll holler at me and be like, hey, I got, you know, 15 or 20, come pick them up. You know what I mean? And that's kind of right. where we're at now. He doesn't raise very many. He never has raised a whole lot. I mean, he may pin 30, 40 stags a year. That's it. But by the wow. time they get to cock, like I said, they're going to be good. Whatever, If he's got six roosters on the yard that are two-year-old, three-year-old cocks, you can bet your house on them they're good roosters. You know? <laughs> And that's so, the way they so are. That's the way they are. So tell us this. So tell us a little bit about your Kelsos. So the Kelsos I got in 2009, I believe. They came from a guy originally come from a guy named Ray Ball. And mm-hmm. uh, Ray, his I met his daddy actually through a, a family friend. I met his daddy. And okay. uh, his, his dad told me, oh, you like game chickens. Well, you ought to meet my son. He lives this. I was down in South Georgia at the time. He said he lives up in Kentucky. And, uh, and he's, he, he, you know, he's got chickens and this and that. So, okay, I'll holler at him, you know? So that following year, I actually moved up to the university of Georgia and finished my schooling out there. And they sent me just by blind luck. I had to do a summer internship and I went up there to a WMA called Chuck Swan WMA up above Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. And, uh, that was only about an hour and a half from Ray's house. So that all that summer, Every Saturday, you know, I'd go up there and see Ray or Friday nights, you know, I'd go up there and see Ray and we'd go to the shows and this and that. And he had the Kelsos and Ray is originally from Georgia, which is where I'm originally from. And uh, so I got a stag from Ray and uh, that that stag, I named him Highball is what I called him because Ray Ball is his last name. And that little stag was just a good rooster, you know, and he uh, he Highball actually. uh Let's see. He killed a rooster sparring. We were sparring him. He killed him as a stag, killed a cock sparring. And wow. I really liked him, you know. So as a two-year-old cock, we put him up again. He killed another cock sparring through the keep. And we took him to the show. And he, he we got knocked out early. I think we lost our first or second one, something like that. Right. We got called right. up into a guy that was going for his money fight. And, right. uh, man, highball, we turned him loose. And he, I mean, he, he killed that rooster six foot off the ground i mean he snatched him up it was over with it was just phenomenal you know awesome little rooster you know so when i decided i liked him that much i went back up to ray's and ray didn't have a whole lot of them he had he had them which are the jumper out and outs and he had the robbie white kelsos and those robbie whites i didn't i didn't like so good you know i just didn't i wasn't a big fan of them they wasn't as game as the uh as the jumpers were so uh, I think I got a hen. I may have got a hen and a stag from him, from Ray again. Right, right. But I talked to Ray, and Ray told me, he said, well, if you really like them, you ought to go to the man I got them from. The man I got them from is Arthur Lee, or he got them from was Arthur Lee Simon in, uh, in North Georgia Combine. His son, Lamar okay. Simon's on on Facebook here. And uh, that year I went, I went and saw Mr. Arthur, and he's kind of a funny old guy. He don't like selling a whole lot of chickens and He's just right. a, a different character, you know what I mean? Right. But for right. whatever reason, he let me buy some that year. And I want to say that was probably in 2010 or 2011. Right. And right. when 
when Arthur Lee let me buy them, I think I bought 16 stags or no, 16 okay. stags. Yeah, they were bull stags. It was in the summer. I bought okay. 16 stags and I bought, I think, seven or eight pullets. So, and they were cheap. I mean, they were, I think I paid a hundred dollars a piece for them or something, you know, okay. but I bought a bunch. Okay. I, I bought a lot of them, okay. brought them home, cocked them out. And out of those 16, we went through them and fought through them and, and picked uh -huh. one or we picked three and uh, picked three broodcocks to breed out of. And then I, obviously all the hens, you know, I paired them up and that's where the Kelsos came from. So that's what they're the basically, and I still, I still bred off the stuff from Ray off a of highball, but, but, you know, technically, I guess you say I got them from two different places, but I went to the old man that Ray got them from. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. So. Kind of this, like you said, the source where, where they came from. So yeah. he, he had a high ball from him, but then you went to the source to get the rest of them. I went to them. Arthur Lee. Yep, yep. And I've still got cocks from Arthur Lee. They're old now. They're eight, nine years old. And, uh, well, it's right. 20. So, yeah, they are old. They're They're probably 10 years old now that are still from wow. Arthur Lee that I don't really breed them anymore, but I, I hate to kill them, you know. That's right. They, that's uh, right. That's they get exactly on up right. in age, but wow. Yeah, and Arthur Arthur Lee got them from uh, from Jumper. He bought them from Jumper in 1991, and uh, he bought the cock out of the pit, I believe, for like fifteen hundred dollars back then. A lot of money, but he saw Jumper wow. fight him, and, and he bought him out of the pit, and then followed Jumper home and bought two hens to go with him, and that's where they started. That was in 1991, and he says he never put anything in them. I believe him. I got no reason not to. But so they're the jumper out and outs is what they are. Wow. So that's the whole basis of your Kelsos. Mm -hmm. That's it. I hadn't put, I bred them with other Kelsos here and there trying stuff out, but I've never put anything into them. They don't, they don't right. cut real good pure. I mean, just be honest. They're real, real powerful. They can, they can fight like crazy. But they don't cut that great. They're, they're real game chickens. I mean, they're, they're bitter game. I mean, they're rugged, tough, give you everything they got kind of chickens. And, uh, take right. them and cross them on the graze and that's what does good right. for me that's what so. does good wow that is amazing man so and then you said you got some sids on your yard also huh yep yep i sure do yeah they come from ray christian uh they were some that uh they went uh they went to a friend of mine uh kenny bishop and he got them from Ray, and it was just kind of one of them trades that didn't work out too good, and Kenny didn't like them that well, and he just told me, come get them. He didn't like them. And pure, they're not much. You know, they've gotten better, but but crossing them is where it's at. Them roosters crossed on good hatch chickens are real good roosters, but but pure, they're not flashy or fancy. Or, you wouldn't right. want them pure, really. I mean, you they're not – every now and then you'll get one that's real nice, but but – for the most part, the pure ones are just like an old hatch chicken. That's what they kind of fight like. Right, so, right. Most people so think black chickens, they think fast and speed. And these ones, yeah. they're not slow, but they're not that fast. But they cut good, but they're power chickens. And they'll, they'll get in front of a rooster a little bit too much, pure. You know, but you cross them huh? on a good family of hatch, and they fight like Kelso's or something. They can get down. They can get down. Wow. So, so, so tell on the last one with the whites, man. What's the history on the whites? Oh, uh, they come from Leslie Condra, is who they come from. Hit Monkey Game Farm. He got out of chickens a while back. I think he's dabbling back in it now. And uh, he was just getting out. And my McLean's actually come from Leslie. That's, uh, that's where they come from. And he's actually less as the godfather to my three sons. So we've wow. been close with we've been close with him and his wife for years, and uh, right. 
he's just a super super nice guy good guy and he is getting out and I, I don't i just ended up with a trio of them from him and bred them and did good with them and i don't show many of them i mean i don't right. i don't raise a ton of them they're just off-colored chickens and they're not i like them but they're not you know they're not like my gray kelsos but when you right. cross them right they're rough. I mean, you cross them on the Kelsos, which is the way I do it. They put a lot of cut into them and good timing, real smart. They're probably right. – Jason likes my grades, but talking about gator, my whites is the first chickens that he ever – Jason ever told me them are good roosters was was my white chickens. He saw some of them show. He's like, I really like them son of a guns. And Jason's – you know, he's hard here. to please, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was it. So He said he liked yeah. them white ones, huh? Yeah, they're, they are. They've got good timing. They're, you know, that's a, they probably got better timing than anything on my place, pure. You right. Know, they got real good timing. And that's, they're smart, pretty slick roosters, you know. And that's what that's what he likes so much about them. That is awesome, so. man. And I, I kind of want to just get give the viewers some of the back history of your, of your, of your, of your, of the lines that you have. And I just want to just go a little bit more in depth, you know, like you, like you have all four of these lines. You know, give the viewers some idea of the methods that you use to continue on with these families. You know, do you right. breed, breed, line breed, father to daughter, that type of stuff. Yeah. Give us a little well, what your beliefs are. So the way I do it, I mean, I'm not against breeding father daughter if you had to, if you were in a situation where you needed to, or even breeding half brother and sister if you had to, you know, but only once. I wouldn't double up on it too much. But I, I kind of like from Arthur Lee, I learned from him. He had those Kelsos, and that's why I bought so many. I got two sides of the same family. Arthur Lee had the in and ins and the out-and-outs, but they were all out-and-out right. Kelsos. But he right. marked one family in and in. He marked the other side out-and-out. Out. Well, he would breed those two families separate, and then like every four or five years, he'd cross them back together and then breed back to the out-and-outs or back to the in and ins. And that's okay. I learned that from him. And then a lot of people on here is going to know Ray Christian with the Sid Taylors. He had four lines of Sids. So he had four lines he kept separate, and then he'd breed them back and forth to keep them fresh. And that's really that's the way I do it. And even Gator, you know, he's got the light side and the dark side blue face. Uh, you know, right. keep them separate and then cross them back and forth as you need. So you're keeping it in the family, but you're – but you're keeping it fresh, you know what I mean? That's right. And that's that's, right. so that's the way I do like it. A line breeding, you know, you, you you breed them down, you breed them down a tree separately like this, and then you do a distant line breeding and intertwine exactly. them back yep. up because it's kind of like them. freshen them back up. And since you're coming down two separate lines, they have their own characteristics. They still got the same genetic background, basically, but you know they got their own. They still develop their own different characteristics, and then you just intertwine them later on down the road, freshen them back up, and then start it back over again. So you take some yep. offspring out of that, breed it back to the left, take some offspring out of the same breed, breed it, breed it back to the right, and it's going down another four or five more years and do it all over again, huh? Yep. Yep. That's it. And another thing I do, which is, it kind of made me smile because James kind of said the same thing. You know, as long as they're producing, he'll keep breeding them. And I do right. that. I'll breed, I'll breed old cocks because you can really mess. You can change things to the good or the bad real fast if you keep breeding stags every year. So if you're always breeding a stag, you know right. you can. It's like driving a Ferrari. If you keep breeding that same old broodcock, you can steer them slowly. But if you're driving a Ferrari and breeding stags every year, man, you can get off in right. the ditch quick. You know what I mean? And that's what right. I, I think a lot of people go to breeding the youngsters too quick. The what? Here's the way I pick my broodcocks. Okay, I, I breed pure. Like, I've got a Kelso in the brood pen now. He's a two-year-old. 
I showed him three times before he was a year old. I mean, they got to prove themselves first before I breed them. Not always, but I, I like for them to, you know. Okay. Okay. Then they go to the make cross pins. So I make crosses with them. And then okay. I'll judge his his offspring as crosses. And if the crosses are good as off of him as a two-year-old cock, I'll take him and then I'll start breeding him. If he's a real good producer, I guess what I'm saying as a two-year-old to make crosses with, then right. I contemplate putting him back into the family. Pure. You know what I mean? Got you. But Got you. So, so I'm not putting roosters. I'm not putting individuals back into the family that I don't know about. I'm putting things back into the family that I say, okay, first off, he was, a, he won. He's a good one. Right. And then second right. off, he's, he's also a producer. He's, he's shown to produce right. good stacks. So right. why would you not want to put him back in the family? You know what I mean? Right. So, so basically uh, you just keep, re you just keep reusing the one, since you go through your, your selection process and he passed the point, you, you like for them to, to perform, you know, you like to see him perform, but if not, sometimes it doesn't. But the key is you put him in them cross pins, you judge him based on his offspring. And obviously that's yep. how Brew Cox can be judged, not really on his right. soul performance, what he can produce. And instead yep. of you taking stags out of what he produced, you're like, why do that? I'm going to just keep on using the broodcock that produced these stags. That's basically your yep. method, right? And put put him back into the family pure. Yep, that's the way I do it. Like, I've got two broodcocks out there. They were four-year-old this year. And I okay. honestly, I made crosses with them one year longer than I planned to just because, man, their sons are they're really good roosters. So right. I hate not to breed them to make crosses because right. they've done so good for me. But next year, no matter what, they're going in the brood pins and all my crosses are going to come off of stags. So... That's just the way I'm going to do it. You know, most all of my crosses are coming off of either stags or two-year-old cocks, and then my pure stuff is coming off of three, four, five-year-old cocks. You know, okay. stuff that's already and, been and bred. Stuff, right, stuff that's been bred. And the stags that you're going to be breeding when you put the old school guys in a brew pen, the stag that you're going to be breeding is off of what you go about to set to the side, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah, honestly, the yeah, the yeah, like the stags I'll be making crosses with, they're going to be right. off of – they're probably going to be off of the daddies to the roosters. They're going to be filling their daddy's shoes next year. You know what I mean? Because right. I've awesome. got a couple – like I said, I've got a couple that are getting older. So next year I'm going to switch them up. But if I get a broodcock that's working for me, I keep breeding him. I don't, I don't want to – as long as he's throwing fertile eggs, like I've got three or four right. that just – their fertility dropped this year. They were like 20%, 30% fertile. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to do away with them. You know, I can't, you know, I can't keep on – putting that much resources into them just to get, you know, 20 or 30%. No, that, so, that, and that was yeah. my next question. Like, how do you determine when you need to set them to the side? And you just answer that question by when, when you start getting those low hatch rates and you know, it ain't mm -hmm. from nothing else, but fertility. that's when you, so you basically let the rooster determine on when his career as a brew cock is kind of over. Right. Right. Yep. Yep. That's the way I do it. And I've, I've heard both sides of the story. One of the, one of the, Rooster men that I respect more than anybody, a guy named Kurt McBriar. He he at five years old, he does away with them. You know what I mean? He doesn't breed them past five years old, and I understand it because he wants that young, you know, you know, good genetics, good, you know, vitality going into the eggs. You know what I mean? But if I get one producing for me, it's just hard for me to get rid of them. You know, as long as they're throwing, you know, sixty, seventy percent fertility where it's worth doing, I'm gonna keep rolling with them. You know, so right and. and and guys, that's that's a very good point that Claude made. Like he said, you know, one of the parts I hope y'all didn't miss, all the time and resources, you know, he knows he got to care 
for, you know, 100% of the eggs, but he's only getting 20% fertility. So 80% of his work and his labor that went into him just really just going in the trash can. So that's why he allows the, the, the cock to make the determination of when a career is pretty much over because he can't put 100% effort in something and only get a 20% return. He's good with what you say, 60 and 70%. You'll continue yeah, on. Getting, that's right. If they're getting better than 50%, for sure, it's hard, especially for their, you know, an older proven producer because every right. pullet that comes out of him, man, that's gold to me. You know what I mean? It's, and he's, you know, when he's getting down to 50%, he's probably not going to be there next year. You know what I mean? So when you see him start going, and I do this year, I've, I bred some that was too old this year. I've got a couple that, didn't have good fertility, and uh, I'm gonna have to start thinning down on them, you know. But it is what it is. That's that's the way it goes. That's right. And 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 before we move on, is there any particular things that you can advise, or any advice you got on, you know, is there anything that 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 the old timers have taught you that you can kind of maybe prolong the fertility, you know, a little bit more, or you just kind of let it go with nature. When it goes, it goes. I'm sure there's some good stuff out there. I've heard. A lot of different things, you know, but honestly, as the farm gets bigger, it's it's almost the, the best thing is that um, breeder pack. Now, I do give them that that vitamin in their water breeder pack vitamin. I think Brandon Crittenden sells it. I think Paul Wood sells it, um, okay. but it's called breeder pack. Now, I keep that in their water. But it, honestly, if their fertility starts dropping along with that vitamin, it's not there's nothing. I don't think there's anything you could really do for them. Not so unless it's just, you know, the last one and you got to have him. But in this sport, man, if you get down to the last one, anything, you've lost it. You know what I mean? You, yeah, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you be too late. If you don't wait, if you don't wait until you got down that far, then you might as well just cancel it because you should have been on your ball game five years ago. You should never wait down to the last yeah. of the last. Or guys make a mistake and sell it all and then mm -hmm. come down. To, that's how a lot of guys end up with the last of the last because they didn't sold everything. So now yep. it's like, oh, I'm, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, so guys, y'all, you, you know, Claude gave y'all a very good insight of, of, you know, his lines, all the bloodlines that he carry, you know, where the bloodlines came from. You know, he talked about how he maintains his lines, um, which is a very good strategy. Uh, he talked about, you know, what he uses to determine, you know, when a game cock needs to, when a brew cock needs to be retired. You know, and pretty much he's saying the laws of nature, you know, when nature kind of kicks in, it is what it is. I'll continue on breeding them. But if it drops under 50 percent, then, you know, I'm going to go ahead and, 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 and retire him. But in the meantime, Claude talked about, you know, he, he started to produce or start to use stags off of those cocks that he's retiring. So he put those stags in place of where where their father was. So um, that just lets you know he's planning way ahead, making sure he always retained enough of the blood from the stags, from the broodcock that he has, so he don't get in that situation where you got the last of the last. Anything you want to add, Claude? Right. No, that's it. That's it. I mean, that's that's pretty much it, you know. That's so, the way I do it. That's the, well, And that's what we want to hear because, you know, the great thing about the interviews is everybody I, I bring on, they, you know, everybody does something different. Y'all guys are all good at what y'all do, big, small, and medium-sized farms. But y'all always do something different, dude. I'm telling you, I, I hear very redundant stuff on this show. You don't hear too – even y'all use the same medicine, y'all use it different ways. Only thing's the same is the vaccinations. For the ones who use the vaccinations, but, you know, and for the ones that don't. But other than that, everything yeah. else is kind of 
all your different wormers at different times, you know, and all that different types of stuff. So, you know, guys, and that's, like a, said, that's a good segue, Jim, uh, if you don't mind me butting in on the vaccinations. If you, you mentioned earlier about me, you know, I spent I was only like five weeks, a little over a month. I was in the Philippines and we were fighting roosters over there. That was five or six years ago. And I, I've been down to, to Mexico several times, you know, fighting roosters down there. People that, you know, and I was one long, you know, years ago, I didn't worry about vaccinations. You know, I didn't, I right. thought, you know, roosters were healthier if they had to, you know, survive on their own, you know, health, right. the, the healthiest survives and survival of the fittest, you know. Right. But if you, if you plan on going out of the country and, and showing roosters vaccines make a big difference. And that's, if you don't have them vaccinated like me, and I learned this from Gator, but I, I vaccinate for Merrick's, I vaccinate for Caraza, I vaccinated for my, my, it's MG, my coplasma, uh, Galaseptacum, and I vaccinate for Pox. And if you don't vaccinate for those four, when you start traveling out of the country and, you know, subjecting those birds to other diseases and this and that, you're you're really walking a fine line. So right. you, you can get upside down quick, you know, real quick. Right. So, and and you can get very dissatisfied customers also too if you oh, ship yeah, if your you're selling. Exactly. I just got this thing and it already died. And, you know, so you can, like you say, you can get really upside down and kind of destroy your reputation. Uh, but mm. so you're basically saying, even if you don't believe in vaccinations, you know, depending on what your goal is, you might just have to do it, period. You right. know, well, you, you may not need that. You may can get by without vaccines at your little home turf and on your property where you don't have visitors coming and, and your birds aren't being subjected to all that other stuff. But when you start traveling and going and doing, there's nothing worse. One time I sent, uh, I sent a guy down to Mexico to feed a show of roosters, got down there and I, and I, I was sending him for a month, you know, and, uh, he got down there and the birds were sick. There wasn't nothing we could do about it. I, I mean, he had a month paid vacation because the birds were sick and, and, it's just because they weren't vaccinated. You know what I mean? So it is what it is. You take a lot of losses like that, and it don't take you long to decide. You might need to look into that vaccination thing, you know. And I was one. I'm telling you, I used to, be, you know, I used to think you didn't need it. Didn't it was a waste of money and this and that. But but I was wrong. So it makes a big difference. Well, you know, well, it does make a big difference. But it's very, is extremely valuable that you you coming on here and saying at one time you didn't believe in vaccinations. But then as you start to look at the direction that you was going, you realize that, you know what, I have to use vaccinations, even though I'm not really into it, but I have to do it because of the situation that I'm running into. And I think that's something that all of us need to keep in mind with that. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Claude didn't have that mindset. You know, if he thought it went, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, he had to fix it because at the end of the day, when those birds start going to different places, you know, you got to understand they're going to be subjected to a lot of different things. And I think that's probably one of the most important things is understanding what direction you're trying to go and what you need to do to be successful in that direction. Because Claus sent, you know, had birds down in Mexico, got all sick because he wasn't vaccinated. And it might have been not vaccinated. It might have been OK in Alabama. But once you send them things across the border, send them to another country, send them to another environment, then that's when you're going to really see the importance of vaccinations. Right. And that's with everything. If you're going to travel out of the country and show birds, you can't be closed minded. It's just it's hard to be successful if you're not open minded to, to the way. There's a reason 
you know, like uh, last time I was down in Mexico, there was an older gentleman. He come in, had his roosters and cardboard boxes, and pulled every one of them out before the show and took just a handful of corn, whole corn, and threw it on the ground. You know what I mean? That dude won the derby faster than anybody I've ever seen win a derby in my life. Now, I don't know what he knew that I didn't know, but I wouldn't have done it. You know what I mean? But he knew something I didn't know because, I mean, he did. They, they had crawls of food sticking out. And I mean, just, just, just maybe they were, you know, maybe they were chickens that needed that. But he knew his birds. He had them right. You know what I mean? And it was just a little derby, a little night derby down there. Just had a good time, you know. But still, that old man knew something. I mean, it that doesn't happen by accident. You know what I mean? But you know what's so amazing that it happened and you seen it with your own eyes. Because if somebody would have oh, yeah. told you that, you'd be like, nah, that ain't, they can't do that. I would have to see that. So you said you were down there. You seen an older dude coming there, birds and cardboard boxes. Put his birds out, throw a handful of corn out there, and and you said they just wiped through the derby, huh? I lost money on it because I saw it. I look for stuff. If I'm going to go have fun, if I'm not fighting, I'm going to look for stuff right. and try to figure out what I can gamble on. That was a bad right. day. Yeah, I better, you know, <laughs> I bet a good chunk against him on that first one. And man, he smoked somebody. I mean, a poof. There it was. He did it four other times or three other times. It was a four cock. Boom, 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 boom. Just as fast as he could turn them loose. He was mowing them down. You can ask Rodney. Rodney was there. Rodney Pounds was there. That is so – you said you lost a knot on that first one, huh? Because you thought yep. you had it in the bag. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, he – Ain't no way you going to win. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I don't know what it was. He had to keep them happy. It's the only thing I can figure. Because didn't, he didn't have <laughs> enough time for them to digest that all, all that food. It was just a mental game, you know. I don't know, you know. But everybody's got their own ways, and that's the thing is is – for years, you know, I think I had it figured out. You know what I mean? And that's the biggest thing. I, if I got anything to tell young cockers coming up, when you start tasting success, don't let it go to your head because there is nothing that will humble you down like the sport of cock bite. And that's the truth. I mean, when when you think you got it figured out, you're going to fall flat on your face. So, Man, I tell you what, you got that exactly right. You better walk up in there extremely humble every single time and say, hey, I just want to do the best that I can do today. That's my mindset. When I go up in there, because every time coming in, you know, like one of my best seasons back then was like 20. I had, did 22, 22 fights, 17. I won that following year, man, I lost like 12 straight in a row. And I'm just like, man, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing wrong? I'm still feeding the same feed. I got the same trainer. You know what I'm saying? It's like, Jesus Christ. Like, I'm just. It's hard. It's almost discouraging. Were you like, you know what, dude? Let me just sit back and watch everybody else birds because I might need to get out of it because mm -hmm. I don't. I can't figure out what's going on. But you're exactly yeah. right, man. It can humble you really quick and really deep too. Have you back oh, there yeah. scratching and shedding a tear? <laughs> yep. Yep. That's it. I mean, it's and no matter where you go, you can pick something up from somebody, you know, and that's the thing, like going to the Philippines and, and I was lucky there. You know, I got to meet some big timers over there, you know, and how they feed. Victor Sierra was one and how he feeds and what he does. And, and the biggest thing that I've learned about him is having uh, having good people behind you because he's got a man. He's got a crew. You know what I mean? And uh, that's what it takes in this sport. If you want to win big and 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 on the top level first tier competition you got to have a good team it's no one person can do that do it all you know it's just a simple fact of it that's right that's exactly right no i, I agree with you 100 percent, and that's that's one of the things that make it extremely tough and and again you know if you're a one-man operation 
just know you probably don't need to have, you know, six or seven hundred birds out there. Because, again, like Claude's saying, if you're doing if you're a one man band and you're doing everything is better to be your chances are better being small than they are yeah. being big. Well, if one man and band. that's another thing is have a team, but don't have a partnership partnership. I see so many people partnering up this year and then partnering up next right. year and they swap around. Right. Partners don't hardly ever work if they if you all partnered up. I wish you the best. It works better when when it's an actual team though, where there's yep. you know like like me, it's my birds. I got Rodney that pits for me. I got a guy named John Hill that rides with me everywhere. That's my right hand man, and then I got my wife and I got my brother in law on occasion, and I got yep. DJ here at home. But everybody's got their place. But it's not you know I'm not showing Rodney's birds. I'm not you know right. Rodney's the pitter. That's what Rodney is is the pitter. You know, and that's the way it works. I mean that's when you have a team set up and there's a structure. Then if something goes wrong, you know where to look. But if you got a partnership, you always want to blame the other guy. You know what I mean? So I mean, it's just the way it goes. So no, that's that's exactly right. That makes a lot of sense too. You know, I think the team the team strategy has worked better for me. You know, I'd rather have my birds and have everybody else have their roles. You know, you work the birds, you keep the you know everybody need to have their role. I think it just works better like that because it, mm -hmm. uh, again, it's less. Bickering back and forth is less, you know, one person is making a decision. You know, here's the bird. This is my role right here. This is what I'm creating. I need you to do your part. And I think also, too, it's a lot more efficient like that. When one guy mm -hmm. is doing one thing, he become very efficient at it. You know, when a mm -hmm. pitter is only doing a pitting, he become very efficient at the pitting. When a feeder, you know, is doing a feeding or the breeder is doing a breeder, you know, it's kind of like a football thing. You know, the, the quarterback ain't trying to run a ball every time and all that kind of stuff. Everybody's standing in a lane. And to me, it has worked best for me like that. The partnership is yep. a little difficult. But like you say, yeah. uh, you know, they have partnerships out there that work. And, and I can yep. wish to continue. But for, but for me, the team thing works better. That's what I, I think so, too. For, for every one partnership that works, there's 20 that don't. I mean, or 30. I mean, there's a bunch. They don't hardly ever work out. You know, and that's just yeah. human nature. It's 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 sad that it's that way, but it just is. You got to work with what you got. You know, you got to work with you. And it seemed like sometimes one of the biggest things is one getting more credit than the other. It seemed like that's always the start of it falling apart. If one is getting more questions or more recognition than one, then it seems like it just all falls apart. So oh, anyway, yeah. but uh, yeah. so, so Claude, since we talked about the bloodlines, you know, and 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 you know, I want to talk about a little later in the interview too about your experience in, in Mexico and the Philippines. But you know, let's talk a little bit about your chicks. You obviously use incubators. Um, mm -hmm. can you just run it through like the first 30 days before we move on to the next topic or what you do with your chicks like the first 30 days? Oh, see that'd be you need to talk be talking to Crystal. She's the one that's the mama hen around here. But she, but I can tell you, I can run you through it. What what we do? So it's a whole process from the time we get the eggs. We set once a week. So we set the eggs on a we set them on Sunday night, baby. Sunday, we set them on Sunday night. We'll set eggs in the incubator. They run through three weeks in the incubator. Well, on Thursday before they hatch, we put them in the hatcher. We when we put them in the incubator, we spray them down with Tetrol disinfectant. Makes all okay. the difference in the world. We physically mix it up, spray it on the egg, and then you put it in the incubator. Like you, you think it's going to kill them, but it don't. It's great, great for them. It it makes wow. for the healthiest baby chicks. You it kills all the bacteria, the bad bacteria on the outside of the egg. So right. the whole time it's in that incubator, that bacteria is not soaking into that egg. It's dead. It's not. It's not there to cause a problem. Wow. And, um, 
Because that's all an incubator is, is that warm, humid environment. I mean, that's just a, right. man, that's just a, a, reading a, 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 petri, yeah. a petri dish, you know what I mean? Exactly. So we keep it sprayed down and keep it clean. And uh, mm-hmm. then we move them over into the hatcher. They And I use the hatching trays from Gator, which are state-of-the-art. They're the best thing in the world. They make the eggs, when they hatch, they got tons of room to move around. The baby chicks do. And uh, it just works out great. So we put them in the hatching tray. Then we vaccinate them. We take them out Monday night. We'll take them out of the hatchers and we'll mark them and vaccinate them from Merrick's and put them in the GQF brooders. And and okay. they get they get LS50 for the first five days in okay. the water. All right. Okay. So about day f- and we put them when we put them in the brooders, we use that uh, GQF sells some brooder paper. It's got some kind of chemical on it that keeps down protozoans and stuff. So we keep them on that for the first three or four days. We pull it out and then, uh, and we still feed them inside the brooders with the chick, the feeder trays and the waters inside the brooders. So they're not eating on the outside yet until they're about a week old. Then we'll open them up, put the food and water on the outside. And, uh, and then we just run them through the brooders until they're five weeks old at five weeks old. I vaccinate them for, uh, I vaccinate them for MG, I vaccinate them for Coriza, and I vaccinate them for Pox. Um, okay. And F5. the whole time from from day one, they get LS50 for the first five days, and then the rest of that chick's life, until I put him in a stag pen, he's getting Corid, vitamins, and apple cider vinegar in their water every day. That's the way they get it. Um, and that's every day of their every life. They day, don't get huh? They don't get fresh water. Nope. They get they get cord, apple cider vinegar, and vitamins, and you know vitamins, electrolytes in the water. So every single day, huh? Every single day. Yep. Yep. That's it. Even when we put them outside, and then we at five weeks we vaccinate them for the MG Coriza and pox, and they go outside. I got big eight foot by four foot wooden brooders outside. I'll put about a hundred to a brooder. And uh, they're all it is is a wooden box with a door on the front and a wire floor. I keep them in there for three or four days, feed them and water them inside of it. At the end of that three or four days, I also put a live trap, a wire cage live trap in front of the door every night. You know, so the first three or four days that wire, that live traps up against the box. But then on the fourth day, Crystal will go out there and she'll move those live traps away from it. And those babies can come out of the box. But by that time, they're used to eating and drinking in there, and they'll go back in there at night. And so every night, she actually, Crystal, went out a minute ago and put up the baby chicks outside, then comes back in after dark. We wait till right after dark. We'll go outside, and we'll put those live traps back inside of those brooder boxes. And the reason being, if you ever get skunks or coons or possums or anything, they're going to smell and hear those baby chicks in that box. Well, if they start coming around it, you'll see where they start trying to dig under that box. All you got to do is open that live trap and that varmint will circle that box until they walk into that live trap. You'll have him sitting there in the morning waiting on you. So, man, that's a good technique right there, man. That is I never heard nobody do that. That is a it's a lot of work. No, it's a lot of work. You got to put them up every night and let them loose every morning. Right, right, right. But yeah. that live trap idea, I ain't never heard nobody say nothing about like setting that live trap up like that. So that yeah. keeps it when they try to sneak they behind in there. You got to, hey, you can come on in here, but I got something waiting for you. You're going to walk well, in behind right in the trap. 
Yep. And that's the thing about animals is they get used to things. So if they're coming to that box every night, because I don't keep the trap set. I just have a live trap sitting there as a door. That's basically my door is the live trap. So if you got coons or possums or skunks coming around, they're going to be used to that trap being there. They're not going to think nothing about it. So if you, right. if you start seeing signs around the box and, you know, I got Pyrenees and Commodores and stuff, so it's not that big of a problem. But, but if you right. ever do see it, mostly skunks. We have a lot of skunks here in the area where I'm at. And uh, if you ever see where skunks are starting to get into it, you just open that live trap up, maybe throw you some sardines in there, some eggs or something, but just open it up. And they're going to be used to it being there anyway. They're, it's not going to be a threat to them. They're going to be used to seeing it. They're going to walk right in it and never have a think another thing about it. Well, I tell you what, guys, if y'all watching, y'all better go ahead and, uh, and, and check mark that, put that in a book. Because like I say, that's the first time. Uh, that I have ever heard anybody use that tactic and technique right there. That that that's awesome. Um, I see uh, Jesse was asking, yeah, three vaccination. And guys, just know also too, you know, uh, we already had like an hour and a half, but because you know Claude is going to come back later on after the interview, and he'll get into the comment section um, and answer. Because Claude, you got a lot of questions in the comment section, um, and okay. some of the stuff already answered in the interview. Just some people came in to the interview, not at the beginning. So some of the questions right, right, are right, right, right. Um, So guys, if you can't, if you didn't come in at the beginning of the interview, I just encourage you to, to watch the whole entire interview because a lot of y'all questions that y'all asking has already been answered. The ones that haven't been answered, Claude, to get into that, um, you know, after the interview, maybe tomorrow, by tomorrow or something like that, he'll get in there and he'll answer some of those questions because they got, you know, questions about the stuff that you spare on the eggs. They're talking about the vaccinations at the five weeks, you know, uh, talking about the trap. So he'll get in and answer those questions later on then. So that's about your first week that you, I mean, the first 30 days that you, and how you mm -hmm. run um, your, 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 your system. So talked about the vaccinations. Now, what do you feed them? We didn't talk about that. Uh, baby chicks. Yes, I use the. It's just Tucker Mills medicated chick starter. That's it. Okay, so you there's probably some better better stuff out there. Yeah, I years ago we experimented with that Coxivac vaccine, probably three or four years ago, and man, we had a horrible time with it. We we lost a lot of babies. It just didn't work that year for whatever reason. Right. So I don't vaccinate for coccidiosis. So that's why they get medicated chick starter and they get cord in the water non-stop right. i mean that's that's just coccidiosis is the rough that's that's probably the number one killer of baby chicks especially the young people i remember when probably in 2000 and i don't know 2007 2008 when i was really getting big trying to start raising on my own man i was trying to raise them baby chicks on dirt floors and everything else you you just it's hard to do that you know what i mean some people can but i can't i never could they get coccidiosis and that's the most frustrating feeling in the world when them little baby chicks start sucking up and puffing up and the next day they're dead. I mean, it's just, uh, and it's easily cured. It's easily prevented. You know, you just got to have the medication and know how to, to get it. So. And, and the key is, is the preventive is to prevent right. it. Once they yep. get it, it's pretty much about just counsel. It's like almost they done then, huh? Well, no, you can use, you can use a uh, Baycox. It's a uh, Totrazero, a Coccidia stat. I keep it on hand. And uh, if they start getting dumpy looking, you can give it to them and it'll bounce them back 12 hours, you know, 15 oh, hours. Yeah. They're boom. Yep. If you, if you notice that evening when they're going to bed, they're looking kind of dumpy. If you give them right. that stuff that morning, by that afternoon, they'll be, they'll start looking better. And tomorrow morning, they'll look a hundred percent better. I mean, 
It's wow. real good stuff, but it's Totrazero. It's Baycox is the is the name brand, but uh, right. um, any kind of Coccidio stat. I think Cocky Buster is a powder you can right. get. Uh, Jesse Vasquez has got some. Maybe Daniel Dotson may have some. Rick Hurst has got some. But that Cocky Buster is supposed to be pretty good stuff. Right. It's a Totrazero powder, and uh, and that's good. If you ever get in a bind, it's good to have. I mean, if if I ever get a group of baby chicks looking bad. They get they get either Batril or uh you know a sulfur medication, some kind of antibiotic. They're gonna get that and they're gonna get coccidiosis, a coccidiostat, uh coccid a totrazural based drug at the same time. That's the first right. thing I hit them with. First thing. So so tell us this since we're talking about that type of stuff, you know, what type of stuff that you keep on hand when it comes to that, you know, you know, like what you're talking about. Do you have like a per you know a certain like a, a certain uh, group of antibiotics or medicines yep. or stuff that you always yeah. need to keep on hand. What are those? Uh, Batril. Uh, back when Gym Labs was going strong, I had a lot of their products, Phosphotrim and stuff like that. But I don't even I don't think they're in business anymore. I don't think you can get it. But right. you know, some right. phospho antibiotics and some uh, some sulfur drugs. Um, right. uh, Batril is a great one to have on hand. Batril works for me. I was actually talking to Gator about that today. He's he's been raising long enough where he's at. He doesn't feel like Batro's working as good anymore, but he runs okay. a lot more chicks through in a year. So he may have something on his yard that's, you know, it's a little bit immune to Batro. So it may not work for everybody. You know what I mean? You got to have a kind of a broad spectrum of antibiotics to hit them with. But right. mainly I'd use that phospho drug and I don't really know. It's phosphotrim, I think is the name of it. I'd take the phosphotrim or the, or the Batro. And okay. uh, that I I would one of those one or the other, and then I'd use the uh, the coccidiosis, the the Baycox at the same time okay. to to cure it. So okay, and so worm so them. guys and, and worm them. So so what type yeah, of worm? Let's get that in there too. Valbazin and Prohibit are the two wormers that we use. Uh, and okay. the big thing is like it got us last year. We uh see we got um. Sindel mentioned it. There's a poultry diagnostics lab right down the road. See, I'm right here in Hansville. It's about a mile and a half down the road from my farm. And okay. so if we get if we get any sick baby chicks, we run them up there to the to the uh, poultry diagnostics lab. And what I had last year, I was worming, but we had one group in one box that we skipped. It was like two weeks lo longer than we we're supposed to between worming. And we had a few okay. of them start getting sick, and it wasn't a bad deal, but we took them up there, and they said they wasn't sure, but it looked like it could have been blackhead. Uh, histomoniasis is what that is, and uh, that comes from worms, actually earthworms and stuff like that that they eat, and then right. they get they get intestinal worms that carry it, and it attacks their liver. They have a star-like star, star -like patch on their liver, and uh, and so wow. that's, what, that's what we had hit us. And the way to cure it is stay on top of worming. I mean, they'll give you some medication that you can give them to get them over it, you know. But my thing is, especially with Showcox, he's going to have that scar on his liver for the rest of his life. So, you know, he's not going to be 100 percent. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's so, exactly right. So that's why preventive is, is always more important yep. or always approached in trying to trying to fix it. Um, yep. So. So those are the things. So, guys, he ran through what he keeps on a farm as far as, you know, antibiotics, penicillins, medications, wormers, all, you know, all that kind. Of, he ran through his vaccinations. Um, and if you haven't heard it, just go back through the interview. Um, so all of these things is pretty much redundant season after season after season. You know, you got your system in place because it works. 
Um, and that's what you just keep re- using that same redundant system season as the season, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. So, yep. so tell me this: since this is the year that you that you will be hatching the most amount of chicks that you have ever hatched, is there any extra things that you added to your arsenal? What kind of things have you changed? You know what I'm saying? I, <laughs> this is okay. So first off, I guess two years ago, Crystal quit her job and moved, you know, stayed home to be pretty much farm manager. You know what I mean? So that's one thing we've done different to have that many. Uh, the second thing is I've moved my mother-in-law and I hired a guy named DJ. Uh, him and his his girlfriend moved up here. So I've got I've got a crew of farmhands now. I've got plenty of help. And that's the biggest thing. Like if, if you're going to have a lot of chickens, you need a lot of help because it may be something as simple as as a rooster getting caught up around a, a clump of grass. You know what I mean? If right. you've got people, if you got people at the house, you know, they're constantly in and out of the yard, this and that, they're going to catch stuff like that. You're not going to lose roosters to that. If you're off by, you know, if, if you're a one man show, say, and you, you know, working man and you come home in the evenings and try to feed up. You know, or sometimes I know people that feed up after dark and then the roosters got to eat it that morning when they get up. They'll they'll go around and feed in the dark and the chickens right. will eat the next morning. You know, that's the way they do it. That works for them. But when you get to, like, the, the bigger you get, the more hands on deck you need. You know, people that you can rely on that walk through the, you know, through the dome pins, through the, through the tie cords. If a rooster, if a stag's not eating that day, I expect DJ or Kim, my mother-in-law, they're the ones that feed. And uh, right. basically, they feed the dome pins and the tie cords, and then Crystal takes care of the baby chicks in the barn. So okay. if there's a stag in a dome pen not eating, I expect DJ or Kim to pick up on it and come get me. You know what I mean? Or bring it up to the house, so we, you know, get right. down to the bottom of what's going on. Because if you don't have, you know, if you don't have that, and you're just flying through, and if you don't, I don't know how people do it. They don't get to see them in the daylight. You know, you get, you're gonna have sick roosters that are gonna be bad sick before you ever really catch it. You know what I mean? So. It's yeah, tough. That's, that, that, that is a huge challenge. That's definitely a huge challenge. That's definitely a huge challenge. So, you know, guys, uh, one, one last thing, and I see a question question in here also, too, about probiotics and electrolytes. You kind of said that, that that's something. Well, you didn't say about the probiotics, but the electrolytes no. is something that they get in their water all the time. Right. Yeah, they get they, the stags and all. They get the, the electrolytes all the time. I've got some probiotics here that came from a good friend of mine, Bradley Gatlin, and I've used them hitting this. But honestly, I just I don't I didn't ever stay on top of getting it on a real good regimen like I did everything else. And uh, they seem to do fine. It, it couldn't hurt. I mean, there's no way probiotics is going to hurt a thing. I don't I don't necessarily keep them stocked up on it. I probably should, but I don't. So. Got you. Got you. So, Claude, let's move on to this. So we talked about the baby chicks, his 30-day regiment that he used, talked about what goes in their water, what kind of feed he feeds. He talked about, you know, when he vaccinate, what he vaccinate for. He also talked about why he vaccinate. Um, so right now, you know, the, the, another great thing is when he said about those brutus, how he set that 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 trap in there. I think that's an extremely great idea. Um, so we talked about that also, too. So is there any particular thing? So we moving on now. So is there any particular thing that you do to them before you just let them go ahead out and start free ranging them? Do you, you know, give them another shot at anything or give them anything? Do you do anything particular before you just let them start going out there to free rank? No, once we move them, I mean, we vaccinate them all the day we put them out, but then they get three days in the box before we actually turn them loose and let them free range. But no, I mean, we don't, we keep them running on that cord and electrolytes and apple cider vinegar. 
Um, okay. But as far as getting anything special, no, we don't. We don't do much. You know, other than then we make sure the grass is mowed real good. That's one thing. If if you're turning loose small babies into a field that's got you know ankle high or knee high grass and it gets wet that morning, all those babies are going to get soaked with that wet grass and they're going right. to, it's going to draw them down. It's going to hurt them. It's going to make them droopy looking. It's going to make them not feel good. So that's we make right. sure the grass is mowed real short. Like I'll, I'll mow real, real right there around the box, you know, right. we'll put them out and then we'll, we'll block them off. And then I'll take the lawnmower and I'll, around that box, it'll be short, short, short before we turn them loose. Just because I don't want those babies walking through grass with dew on it in the mornings. You know what I mean? Right. So right. It, right. Just That's a little very- things, little things that give them a head start, you know, because a, a baby right. chick, a quail sized baby chick that gets soaking wet in the grass, they look rough. I don't, you know, they, they don't look good, you know, so. good at all. So, so tell me this, Carl, before we move on, what is the three things that you put in the water? One of the things I want to ask you, why you put the apple cider vinegar in there every day? Uh, well, we also, we use the crystals over there. She's making sure I say it. Apple cider vinegar with the mothers. We don't just use regular apple cider vinegar. And that's probably probiotics too, you know, really. Um, but it's good for their gut health. You know, the apple cider vinegar is good for me and you. You know, right. take a spoonful of apple cider vinegar. It's good to detox your body. It's good to keep your all your, you know, balances in check, you know. And that's just, it's good for the their gut health, I think, gotcha. anyway. So... Right. And you said you give that to them all the way up until they stags, huh? Yep. They get that all the way up until I start pinning them up. Then they go on fresh water. I mean, I don't I don't keep that up. It wouldn't hurt if you do. I know people that do, but I, I water out of a water hose once I get them to stag age and they just get fresh, clean water. But until that stag six, seven months old, he's never going to get fresh water at my place unless he drinks it out of a mud puddle. Cause they're going to they're going to have that cord and and vitamins electrolytes and apple cider vinegar every day so gotcha 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 so guys that's the answer right there so you know obviously um you know you start pinning them up you know obviously when they can't run loose any longer you know let's talk about your setup you said you use tps also the pins so what size is say your pins when you your stag pins oh uh, that well they're the mexican the 39 inch by 39 inch mexican pins and uh, okay. yeah, we're actually working on them now. I'm actually, I had uh, about a close to 200 dome pins that were four foot by four foot. They were dome pins, but they were four by four by four. And right. uh, we're getting we're getting rid of them, and uh, we're gonna pretty. There's all we got uh, quite a few, several hundred, three or four hundred uh, right. Mexican, you know, meter right. meter pins is what they are. 39 inch by 39 inch pins. So gotcha. that's what our that's what our stag pins are going to be in. My teepees are a little bit unique. They're a little bit taller. They actually came from uh, one, another person that that's just been a tremendous influence on me. The Dodge City guys, they fall under Dodge City. I'm not going to say their name. They're they're right, both right, prominent. Right. They're both prominent right. men in the community around here, and they don't you know they don't they don't like to be talked about or anything like that. But they fall under Dodge City. A lot of people know them. And uh, they won two world championships and a whole host of derbies back in the day. And uh, but so when they got out of it, um, I got all their TPs from them. And so I've I've got a couple hundred big four foot TPs, and uh, that's bigger than what most people have. But that's what they had, and that's what mine wow. are. Four so, foot TPs. Yep. Yeah, they're four foot. By the time you by the time you lean them together, they're about three and a half foot tall. They're pretty tall. They're they're up. 
about chest high on me. So wow, wow. So you have those. So okay. So tell me this, Claude. So we talked about you know you you pinning them up uh, with stags, right? You know what age do they come out of the stag pins to the tie cords? Okay. Um, well, I mean, you, you want to try to, I want to try to get them out as soon as their spurs are hard where they can, they can stay on a cord if I've got the room. But if, if I've got a bunch of cocks out there, they may have to wait until they're bull stags, you know, 18 months old. They may be a little older than I want, but, uh, ideally you'd want to get them out as soon as you can. I mean, the, the longer they're in those pens, the longer you're going to have to deal with them getting water in their pens and getting muddy or, you know, right. eat. You know, anytime, which I feed in cups on the outside of the right. pens, but anytime you're feeding in a pen, you know, if, if he's eating where he's pooping, you know, I mean, he's going to be susceptible to get sick, get the greens. You know, there's a whole host of things that, that come with being in a pen. So as right. soon as you can get them out, I recommend getting them out as soon as you, as soon as they got good hard spurs where you can put them on right. a tie cord and, and they won't hub their spur, won't hold their spur. Right. right. I, I would try to get them out. Get, it, get them on out of there. So so yep. tell me this, when, when you do get them over to the tie cords, um, I like to talk about what length of the tie cords that you use, and do you ever rotate the legs with the tie cords? I don't rotate the legs just because I got too many. It probably doesn't hurt. I like to keep a tie cord on the right leg. It's the way I was taught. It's the way I've always been. You know, I always keep the tie cord on the right leg. Um, right. What I do now, when I pull the, the stags out of the, the stag pins, so when I put him on the cord for the first time, I worm him, I delouse him, and if I can, I like to go ahead and trim him and put him on a tie cord. Or I may put him on a tie cord, and I do it at night, you know, a lot of times. Or I may give him a couple weeks on the tie cords, and then I'll come through and trim him. You know, but it, pretty soon after them going on a cord, if I can, I like to go ahead and trim them and try to, you know, just let them look like roosters, you know. They grow up. Right. I got you. So like you say, when you eventually get them over to the tie cords, if you can, you like to trim them, delouse and worm them, all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of like your yeah. regiment when it comes to the stag pin to the tie cord. Um, but the only thing that may change is the fact that when you will trim them, sometimes you can trim them right then or sometimes you have to give them a yeah. little time on the tie. Cord yeah. You can trim and them. it's not bad. See, what I like to do, I trim by myself. So I like to trim at night. If they're already going up, if they're going up and going on their perch, see, that's it's kind of funny. It's how I do it. I'm not saying it's right, but the way I do it is when he goes on a tie cord, if he's got his comb on him, I hadn't wormed him yet. So I like to make sure that's the way I can keep up with. If I put one on a tie cord and he's not trimmed yet, I know I hadn't wormed him yet. So if, if he's a trimmed cock on a tie cord, I know I've already given him his worm pill and deloused him. So he should be good to go for a couple months anyway. So I use his comb. I use that to tell me whether or not he's had his wormer and his delousing. Yep. So if, yep. if I put him over on the tie cord and he's trimmed, if I if I, anything I see out there on the tie cord is trimmed, I know you know if it's that time of year where I got a lot of bull stags out there, I know he's already got his worm peel and he's already been been deloused. He says he should be good to go. So you know if I put him out on tie cords, I try to. Obviously, when I take them from pen to cord, I want them to be wormed and deloused as quick as possible because it gives them right. a fresh start. You know, they got their own grass for the first time in, in several right. months. They're, you know, you want their digestive system clean for all the new food they're going to start taking in because when they're in a dome, you know, they're in a dome pen or a stag pen, they're not getting a lot of green grass and all that kind of right. stuff, you know. So, that's right. And a lot of that's grubs right. and bugs and stuff. There's a lot of stuff they can get on a tie cord that you can't take to him in a pen. 
So I just I like to delouse him and worm him so his guts are ready to get the nutrients out of whatever he's gonna eat, you know. Got you, got you. So 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 Claude, let's talk about uh the feed, you know. Um and, and I know you said earlier you talked about, you know, the alfalfa pellets and stuff like that. But let, let's talk about the feed. Is the feed that's going that's being fed to the stags different than what's being fed to what's on a tie core, or is all the same? Uh okay, so they, I've got the same feed. It's the same feed I feed the stags, cocks, same feed I feed in the keep. And they call it at a local place up here where we get it. It's a feed mill close by that, that makes it. I'm only about an hour from Jason, from Gator. And it's called the Gator Mix. It's a mix that him and I guess his daddy come up with. And it's just a, it's a five part feed. It's real simple, but it's real good. It keeps big bodies on them. And uh, it's just a custom mix that he has made up. And I buy it by the ton. And we'll run up there. It's about an hour from the house. We'll go up there and get it by the ton or two tons at a time. And uh, and we'll just keep it on stock. And that's what we feed the babies. Even when they're running loose, when they start getting big enough, we'll still give them the chick feed, but we'll mix that feed in the in the pan with it. And once right. we get them where they're eating all the whole corn, then we'll switch right. them over. And the, the stag's running loose. By the time they're pinning age, they've already been eating that feed for a month or so, you know. So they're accustomed to it. And then once we pin them up, we put them in the dome pins or the Mexican pins, the, you know, the square pins. And right. we just put them, they just get the same feed that everybody else gets. And that's the same thing I feed through the keep and everything else. It's the same feed. My, my chickens never get something different. They get soaked oats, you know, off in the summertime, especially I'll feed soaked oats and stuff just to keep moisture in them and stuff like that. But outside of that, they don't get anything different. It's the same feed from the time they're, six months old to the time they're 10 years old it don't matter 10 years old i got you so can you tell us a little bit about the ingredients in the feed you said it's a five part feed yeah it's uh i don't know that it's five parts it's shelled corn it's uh feed wheat it's calf manna 22 percent laying pellet and alfalfa pellet and for every ton you put a gallon of corn oil on it and that's it corn oil to a ton yep or maybe to a half a ton. It may be two gallons to a ton. But, uh, right. but yep. You're the That's the way it is. About that corn oil. I think, I don't know, yep. I don't know what, what guess it was on, but they talked about the corn oil with the feather health and that type of stuff. It really well, and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't even have to be corn oil. It could be wheat germ oil or anything. It's just, you want oil on feed to keep it from getting dusty. That oil really cuts down on the dust. So uh, it, help, it helps it a okay. lot. Okay, so that's the reason that's a big part of it yeah that's a big part of it. it's good for the chickens too because corn oil straight carbohydrates any kind of oil like that they're going to get a lot of nutrients out of it you know it's going to help it's going to help feather health and everything but it does another big thing that does is helps cut down on the dust in the feed so that's right that's right um Wow. So like I say, man, I think, you know, we pretty much covered. So guys, just a lot, you know, recap. And uh, like I said, a lot of the question that your guys are asking has already already been answered. But one last thing with the feed, because I see a question in here. You know, what's the protein uh, uh, percentage in the feed? I, I want to say that I used to know it off the top of my head. I don't know. Gator can tell you. I think it's like 16 and a half, 17 percent. Somewhere in that, that range. At 16, 17 percent. Is the protein yeah. level that they pretty much get their whole entire life. Right. Yep. That's it. 
Same thing with the hens. Everything on the yards. Yeah, the everything thing. on the yard. We buy it, we buy that a ton at a time. And right now, we went and got two tons last week because all this virus stuff and worried about whether we're going to be able to get it for a month, you know. So we buy a ton or two tons at a time. And right. uh, that'll last us about three weeks, a ton, Will. And so okay. we feed everything. I mean, we everything. That's the only feed on my place. That's it. Simple, right? Keep it simple. Yeah. Um, Except for in the summertime, you know, we may soak some oats and feed them oats and stuff like that. But outside of that, I mean, that same that mix is it. That's what they get. That's pretty much it. Well, I tell you, so that that's great. So, guys, I think we talked about, you know, everything, you know, is in, in regards to to Claude there at the farm. I do kind of want to shift gears a little bit because I know the interview is long. We probably pushing you know, hour 45 minutes and, and, um, but I want to talk about two, two, two different things. I would like to talk about your experience in Mexico and also talk a little bit about your experience in, in the Philippines. So let's jump to Mexico first, you know, okay. um, Mexico is kind of, you know, I would say, you know, a hot topic because uh, a lot of people, uh, who has never had the opportunity to go to Mexico has, are very opinionated about how things are, how things will perform, you know, what they would do if they was there. From your experience, man, you know, from being in Mexico, what was the difference in your perception here versus what it actually was when you got to Mexico? You know what I'm saying? Like, you might have thought um, it was one way from being in Alabama, but when you actually got in Mexico, what was the huge difference from your perception to the reality? Right. Uh, well, my, my perception, it's hard to say. I've been going down there for so long. Now I've been going down for five or six years, you know, so um, I don't really know what I was expecting when I first went. I really don't. I, I would assume, you know, most people think Mexico is going to be hot, dry climate, you know, and desert and this and that. And it's not. It's a tropical paradise. It's humid. Where we go, where I go a lot of times is to Tepic or to Guadalajara or somewhere in that area. And it's, it's not. I mean, there's plenty of moisture. It's not super dry. I mean, it's not what people think of it as. It's, it's where we go, where I spent most of my time is in Topeka, and it's like a tropical paradise. I mean, it's lush, green. Yeah, it's nice. It's 70 degrees almost year-round. It's just real nice all the time, 70, 80 degrees. You know, it's real humid in the morning, and then it'll dry out in the evening, but there's green grass everywhere. I mean, you're not in the desert at all. You're up in the mountains. I mean, it's it's not wow. a desert. So, yeah, it's a little different. Um, but what most people don't realize, the biggest, the hardest thing to get past in Mexico is what you're used to doing here. If you're feeding out of your home and you got, you know, walk out the front door, go to the barn and there's the roosters. And here's your setup and there's your feed cabinet and this and that, you know, where everything's at. Anytime you go to a different place like that, going to Mexico or going to anybody else's farm to try to feed, there's going to be adversity you're going to have to get past. Everything that you're used to having in the comforts of home is not there. And it's not that right. it's not comfortable there. It's just not an environment that you're used to unless you've done it a lot. So you're right. having to, you know, tweak things and change things up and get a little bit of this or a little bit of that. I think, uh, you know, James, one time I know, say I've fed with the same people that James went down, James Sylvester went and fought with. And I think, you know, James Sylvester even mentioned in his interview, he uses tomatoes. Well, they don't have canned tomatoes down there. There's no reason to have canned tomatoes where we're at. They have agriculture everywhere. There's fresh tomatoes, and that's what they had to dice up and use was fresh tomatoes because they didn't have stewed canned tomatoes like you have up here. You don't need it, you know. It's just not something 
it's not something that's needed in that area of the country. It's not something they had on hand. So he had to get fresh tomatoes and dice them up. I know I heard that story from a couple people. You know, they were in there dicing tomatoes up for the chickens, you know. And uh, right. it's just stuff stuff like that, you know, you run into that you uh, that you got to, you know, you just got to overcome it somehow. There's different things you're going to have to, you know, change and tweak. And you have to keep an open mind. You really do. You have to keep up. And I was going to ask you, you, you have to keep an open mind because and what I'm thinking is coming from a place, say, like Alabama, where the climate is not tropical. And now you in a place where the climate is tropical all year long. Well, you wasn't raised in the area where you had to feed out in a tropical place. So how mm-hmm. do you deal with now having to feed out in a climate that the probably most you ever spent in was a week at a time or if you was on vacation somewhere? Other than that, right. you went states climbing. So how do you adjust to that? You had to take a lot of input. Do you rely on, on local resources and experience? How do you deal with that? Well, the biggest thing is knowing how to read your birds. If you know that family of roosters, you know what they're supposed to be like. That's the number one. You can't just, I can't go get a show of cocks from somebody. I couldn't go to, to say James Sylvester. I've never fed his roosters. I couldn't just go get a show of them, take them down there and win with them. I don't know. Them. I don't know what they need to get. When I when I fought the Gaff World Championship down there in Topeka a couple years ago, I went down and stayed a month, and we fed them. Me and Rodney did. Me and Rodney went together, and we fed those roosters. We lived in the in the Gallera, the the rooster farm. We lived there. We stayed there. I mean, we put poured our heart and soul into those roosters, and we finished third. We had a three and two score, which wasn't bad. We didn't win the Derby. We had one we lost that we should have won, and we had. One we lost that we just got smoked on. But if we'd have, that one we should have won, we caught some bad luck. If we'd have won that one, we'd have split it with the other ten people that split split the derby. But uh, anyway, we uh, we fought good. I couldn't ask no more out of them. Our roosters give me everything they had. But I didn't do a whole lot different. Um, I had to pull water a little bit, and I just just feeding them through the keep. I read them. I knew where they were at. And I knew where they were supposed to be at. And uh, I tell you something funny. I had one rooster in that show going back to Gator. Y'all think I'm sales pitching for him, but he's smart. This is an example. If any of y'all remember that derby, they got videos of it. There's a little bobtail rooster we fought. He had a bad tail, no good tail. I think the commentator online was kind of making jokes about him, like where was his tail and this and that. He was a little bobtail rooster, but he was a monster. He was a booger bear. But he wasn't quite right. And the day of the show, he wasn't 100%. And I, I called Jason in there. We weren't even turned in together. I mean, nothing. I just called him. I was like, man, I know you got a million tricks. You know what I mean? I said, what do you think he needs? He said, man, he said, you think I'm crazy, but I'd go in there to that fruit stand over there and get some fruit and give him a little bit of watermelon or something, you know? And I said, okay, because he wasn't right. You know what I mean? He said, I'd start pecking on, him, on it every hour. And so that's what I did, about a thumbnail-sized piece of fruit, uh, guayaba or watermelon or something cut him a piece up and give it to him and uh, by the time we fought that rooster i i'm not a hundred i think we may have matched into ray cortez with it um with that rooster i'm not 100 percent sure but man he was just on fire i mean he was he come around you know and it's just a, a little trick you pick up from somebody but we turned him around the day of the show he wasn't right we we called him watermelon that that fellow i fight with tony sandoval he still got that rooster down there but uh, get at him. Yep. He still we got him. Yeah, he still got him. He's probably breeding him. I don't know, but yeah, he was a good little. He was a good little rooster, but he was a little bobtailed rooster. But we named him Watermelon. But just you know, there's wow. little tricks like that. You just got to stay on top of them and don't be afraid to ask. If you got somebody like that, if you're lucky enough to have somebody like Gate Jason, 
to look up to right. and to ask advice from, ask right. them. Don't be don't be too proud to ask them because they probably got something that might work, and it may not have worked. You know what I mean? But it worked that day. It made a big difference. Right. But the key is, like you were saying, is understanding and knowing your rooster and being able to read them because you're yep. actually feeding out or pointing out in an environment that a lot of people actually probably never even been in a tropical environment. And then, like I said, right. if you had been in a tropical environment, it probably was on vacation. You know, you wasn't mm -hmm. pretty much having roosters on in no tropical environment. So that is one of the, the things that, like I said, I wanted to talk about, about a guy coming from Alabama. Never. Now I'm talking about before you went to Mexico, you know, never feeding out uh, anything in a tropical climate. Now you're in a place where you got to feed out in a tropical climate. Um, and, and you said the key was was you was able to read your rooster. So regardless of what climate it was, you was able to tell what was going on with him. And you just made adjustments based on that. Yep. If you know that family of roosters, my opinion is if you know that family of roosters and you, I mean, if you fed two or 300 of them and you know what they're supposed to be like, you know what it takes to get them there, then you should be able to take them anywhere in the world. And if you got a month to play with them and if you're doing your job and working with those roosters and you're not off chasing girls and having fun and not paying attention to them, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, you'll get them. You can get them there no matter what environment you're in because you know what that rooster is supposed to be like. Now, if you're taking a family you don't know, you don't know. You're guessing. Every family is different. You know what I mean? But if you know what that rooster, what that family of roosters, when you get them right and you have them feeling like they're supposed to and that's when they win for you, then right. if if you're open-minded and not just – if you follow it, uh, you know, if you got a keep written out. That's what drives me nuts about uh, written keeps. People got written keeps. Well, written keeps are great. That's a backbone, but that's not – you know, that's not what it's going to get you to the winner's circle. You got to be able to make adjustments and move sometimes. And it depends on where you're at. You may be in an environment where those roosters aren't getting enough fresh air. Maybe the cock house they have you using is too enclosed. They can't get fresh air. Well, you got to know that you got to feel it in the rooster. You can feel him start getting waterlogged and getting heavy. If he's not getting fresh air, you get him out, let him get some fresh air and he'll, he'll pull back up and tighten up, be like he's supposed to. You know what I mean? So you just got to know how to read them and go, go from there, you know? So I so. guess guys, so like I say, I mean, he's pretty much letting you know, you know, re really what it's going to take. It is not no magic as far as going down. It, the magic is understanding what you're taking, you know, understanding what you're dealing with, like knowing your birds, period. Regardless if it's, is you're in tropical climate now, you're in dry climate, you know, Two weeks from now, whatever the case is, is you have to be able to read your rooster in order to know how to adjust. If you can't read them, it doesn't make a difference. You you know, you just really just totally gambling at all because you don't know and exactly what's going on. You know how you learn that, Jim? You uh -huh. lose a bunch of fights. You win <laughs> fights, you lose fights. That's right. how you learn them. That's, how, that's the only way you can do it. I mean, it ain't right. all roses. You know what I mean? So right. sometimes it works out and you look like a hero and sometimes it don't. And you look like a zero. But if you learned something from them and were open minded to it and took something away from it, it was a win either way. You know what I mean? Right. That's that's the way you should look at it, especially somebody coming up that's trying to learn how to feed roosters. you got to learn to read them before you can do anything. I don't care who what keep you got, anything you got that you're following. If you don't know how to read them, you'll never do any good with them because you'll not know where they're at. You know? And it, and it takes experience. Like you say, the keep is the backbone. That's a guideline. There's no, you know, the keep is maybe is the guideline as a base, but it's a whole bunch of other stuff that has to go with that. And, and, and learning the rooster, you can only learn them 
by working with them. No different than a piece of machinery. You can only learn mm -hmm. how to work that drill or you can only learn how to drive a car. The more you drive it, the better you'll understand how it reacts, how it handles, how it accelerates. And that's basically what you're saying with the rooster. You're going to have to keep working with them. And, uh, and a lot of times it's going to take some losses and some wins, but you're not going to be able to avoid working with that bird to understand how that bird reacts understand what he needs to do and you can never get that just from observation of a keep a keep is a backbone or a guideline but you still is a whole lot more to it than just to keep you know running through through that yeah. regiment so, so that's pretty much what was your success is you knew your birds you knew your birds you knew when they wasn't right you knew when they were right and you knew what you needed to do to keep them right basically yeah, and sometimes I didn't, like with that watermelon rooster. I wasn't 100% because he felt wet, you know what I mean? And I wasn't 100% sure what to do. And that's why I went and got Gator. And Gator's like, give him some sugar, give him some fruit, you know what I mean? Something that's got some 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 glucose in it and get his sugar levels up. And that's what we did, and it worked. You know, I would have never pecked that rooster on any kind of wet food. I'd have, I'd have pecked him on pellets or something else. It would have probably took him the total wrong direction. But I learned something that day, you know what I mean? And learn something without paying a big price you know we, we we won he looked good and you know we learned something so right exactly so so tell me this before we move on to the philippines and that month that you were down there was it a big change or was it a lot of work to maintain a birds for that month that you were there well the big thing is with them with with bringing them in and, and showing them somewhere like that the big thing is is keeping them happy a lot of people said oh you're gonna have them down there too long and this and that the big thing we were moving them every day we were keeping them fresh they never drank anything but bottled water they didn't get the local water you know what i mean they got they got something they were used to i give them antibiotics you know before they ever were in his farm i give them antibiotics before they showed up to his farm i give them antibiotics when they got to his farm so it just kind of helped them keep from stressing coming to the new environment if they pick something up along the way we stamped it out um we moved them kept them fresh we didn't work them a whole lot we they'd been pre-kept at the farm that they came from they'd been pre-kept um so they were in good flesh. It's just keeping them mentally happy. That was all it was. It wasn't. It wasn't real, real hard, but it took a lot of physical, you know, moving around and paying attention to them and watching them and and giving them your heart and soul. Because if you if you just you know throw them out there in the pen and let them sit for two or three weeks and drink nasty water and then you're going right. to try to take them and and show them somewhere on the big stage, it's not going to work. It's it's a mental game, you right. know. That's right. That's right. So so that's how, guys, he talked about, you know, again, the 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 experience that he had in, in Mexico it was a totally different climate that he than he was raised in. So he was able to adjust, but he kept a very open mind. He totally understood his birds. He knew how to read them. Uh, he wasn't too proud to ask for some help when he got stuck. And that's kind of what led to his success. So shifting gears one more time over to the Philippines, you know, how was that? And how long did you say you stayed in the Philippines? Uh, about five weeks, a little over a month. I was over there, so okay. yeah. So it was uh, so that, that climate is is almost it's kind of tropical too. Also in the Philippines, yeah, but it? it was it was different. See, to peak, the humidity goes away. Where we where right. I go to Mexico normally, the, the humidity right. kind of backs off. You get a relief from it. In the Philippines, it's hot and humid. Man, it's hot and humid at one o'clock in the morning. It's always hot and humid. I mean, when I like was there, I, I was in Cebu. And it was just, it was hot and humid all the time. You know what I mean? All the time. I stayed, uh, and I was lucky. You know, I, I, I got to stay with, with the people in a small village there. And, 
and it wasn't like I was it's like I was one of them I wasn't like a tourist you know what I mean and I really enjoy that I don't like to go somewhere and get put up in a hotel I'd rather live like yep. the people live you know what I mean and it's a it's it makes for a lot better experience for me you know I really enjoy it but I mean I eat balut I eat I eat all the you know chicken guts and everything else I don't I don't I like that you know what I mean but uh <laughs> As far so, as feeding roosters in the Philippines, it's tough. That's probably, in my opinion, that's probably if you're fighting big derbies there, that's probably the toughest place in the world. It's not probably; it is. The Philippines is bar none the toughest competition in the world. They got, they've got all the doctors and lawyers and money to throw at it, and they're smart. They're super smart. They got big schools, and you know they 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 really bring the science to the game fowl industry. They're they're twenty years ahead of anybody else. And, right. uh, in my opinion, I believe that they're, the Philippines are way ahead as far as, you know, just the science of the game cop. You know, there's people that that's all they do over there, study game roosters, you know, and it's just a, a different ball game. They got the they got farms over there, mega farms. They'll have, you know, eight, nine, ten thousand cocks. They'll pick through and they'll fight, you know, three or four hundred of them in a year. You know what I mean? There's unreal the selection they have and everything else. It's just it's beyond your wildest imaginations and uh it's a a tough place to win yeah i I mean i can imagine man they're they're on a whole nother level in my opinion Mm -hmm. everyone that i have met and talked to is on a whole nother level even when you look at the feeds that they have the vitamins that they take the the you know because again there's no hide and seek over there so guys Mm -hmm. are actually going just for that. Like I'm going to school so I can be a master at this for Gamecocks. And and that mm-hmm. makes a huge difference. Um, mm-hmm. That makes a huge difference because they apply a lot of science. They do a lot of research. They do a lot of testing. So, you know, they're able to see what's working and what's not working. And they obviously going to veer more to what's working. But the thing that's great about them is they do a lot, what I call testing and tuning or research and development. They do research mm-hmm. and development on everything. From breeding strategies, incubators, feed, medication, worm. They do research and development on everything, and it's constant. It's like never nonstop. You know, with um, Tonio that came on the other day, you know, from the Philippines. Like he say, man, the roost is like different birds every five years because everybody is constantly trying to. They got their base bloodlines. But then on the other side, they are experimenting with all kinds of different things, trying to get that edge. And he said in like every five years, a whole different animal over there. Like you mm-hmm. got to be constantly keeping your baseline, but you better be redoing some research and development on a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a different ball game over there. I mean, that was a, a, a ways back. That, I will tell you this. Anybody that thinks they're going to go make a living fighting roosters in the Philippines, they got a hard road to hoe if they're coming from the States because they're behind the eight ball. Before they ever even show up, they're behind the eight ball. I mean, they really are. So I did I did well. I was fortunate. We uh, we fought a couple derbies. We didn't win any derbies. We won some hack fights. We, we had – I think we fought 13 or 14 hack fights. I think we only lost one or two. And uh, it was a good time. You know, I had a great time over there, but but it is a – man, it is a hard game to play over there. You 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 really you really have to have the best roosters. I mean, it's it's smart, fast, cutting, everything. Right. You know what I mean? They got to have it right. all. They got to so. have it all. 
competition is fear. So tell me this, uh, you know, do you see a difference? Well, you just talked about different characteristics and stuff like that uh, of, of of the rooster. But as far as like confirmation and, and structure and, you know, station and all that, how did the birds seem differently built since they played oh, with, yeah. with a weapon? Yeah, they were taller. A lot of the roosters, and it really is to their detriment, really. A lot of times they would fight roosters that were, in my opinion, a little bit too tall. And uh, they they might be good in the break, but they'd be a little clumsy on the ground and stuff like that. That's the only way you'd get an advantage. I know I fought a little Dog Island Gray. He was a pure one. We fought him when we were over there. Um, And uh, he was – Little short rooster, the 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 gaffer, he, he didn't even have a knife short enough to, t- to heal this rooster. You know, he's just a medium station rooster. But over there, he was medium low. I mean, he was right. uh, pretty short. And he was into a big, tall hatch rooster, you know, that was probably three or four inches taller than him, you know. And, uh, and, and th- that's where good cutting roosters come out on top. And that's the thing in the Philippines. That's how that little gray one, he just, he, as soon as he got to that hatch rooster, he cut. And he killed him. It was over with. We didn't. Even, I think we won clean. If we got cut, it wasn't much of a cut. But right. uh, but yeah, I mean, you don't have to have those big tall roosters to win. But but it it helps with tying a longer knife. You know what I mean? I think that's a lot of why they they do it. To me, they're a little bit too tall. But you get some some breeders and some some people over there that have good solid medium station roosters that do really really good with them. You know, medium medium high. So right. Right, but well, that's, in, I mean, in general, they want big, tall ones. You know, in general, that's what they want. Yeah. Right, that's that's kind of what I see. Big, tall ones. They always say, "Oh, because you know the the, the weapon is so long," and I'm like, "You're right, because like a samurai sword. That thing oh, is yeah. huge, man. Jesus right. Christ!" So yeah. I guess you would have to have something, you know, at least tall. But Tony was saying, you know, medium. Like you say, not low medium, but more of a high medium is probably mm-hmm. the shortest that you're gonna probably be able to work with over there. Yep, yep, and that's probably the ideal height, in my opinion, because you can still tie a good sized knife. But you just, in my opinion, if I and I had, I, man, I was there a, a month. That was it. Now I had a partner over there for a while, but as far as what I, I'm no expert on the Philippines by a long shot. There's people out there that know a lot more than I do. But my opinion, if I was going to go over there and try to fight big time, I'd be fighting medium, medium high, you know, but real medium high, right. not right, not medium real tall. High. Yeah, not super, right. super tall. Another thing, right. too, is people, when they start breeding tall roosters, they're not necessarily breeding tall roosters. They start breeding straight-legged cocks. And that's something, if you look at I don't like a rooster that's got straight legs. If he's, if his leg, when I say straight legs, I mean from his thigh, from his upper thigh, all the way down to his foot is straight. There's no bend to it. I like a rooster that's got a little bend, a little recoil. But a straight-legged rooster, you know, you think about having to, to draw a punch back. Well, if your right. arm's like this and you got to draw a punch back, you got to pull right. back farther before you can come forward. That's and, right. Uh, you know, a rooster that's got a good balance and a, a little bit of set to his leg, you know, he's already recalled. He's ready to, you know, he's ready to throw his leg. So That's right. That's right. But that's what I see. built like he, the, 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 the bent legs one already got the recoil built in. The straight leg ones got to, you know, get the recoil and then shoot out. But you like yeah. them when they got a little bend in there because they, they already got – it's like a spring half cop. You know, it's like it's generally, already half cop. Generally, I think roosters like that are more accurate. If they've got a little bit of – exactly, a little bit of spring, a little, little bit of cock already to it, a little bit of set in their leg, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's – 
and I don't mean the the actual leg will be straight. I'm. It's hard no, to explain. Yeah, but but the angle. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yep. The angle. I think they're a little bit more accurate because when they th- when they're throwing that leg, they're they're already ready to throw it. When they bu- break up in the air, their legs already there to throw it. You know what I mean? That's so. Right. That's I think exactly they, right. A lot of times they cut a little better, a little bit accurate. Yep, that, that that makes it a lot of sense. Um, well, guys, man, this has been a we at Claude. Just so you know, we at the two hour mark, or probably a little over two hour mark. Um, but this has been an excellent, excellent show tonight. You know, I know some of y'all guys get fatigued, but a lot of y'all guys don't. Y'all love these long interviews. I know when we first started out, I thought they were going to be like 45 minutes, and I think we maybe have 145 45-minute uh, uh, interviews since we started this journey to the pit. But listen, I know we can talk chickens all night, but Claude has laid out some very, very good information. Just to give y'all guys a recap, we talked about his blood. First of all, we talked about how he got started. You know, we talked about his different lines that he have on a yard. We talked about the, the history of all those lines that he has on a yard. He talked about how he maintains them. He talks about how he breeds, how he hatches, how to use the incubator, you know, the brooders. He talked about the size. Um, we talked about before they free range. I mean, if you go back and watch this whole interview from the beginning, it's an extreme amount of information. Talked about his experience in Mexico. Talked about his experience in uh, in the Philippines. It's a wealth of information in this interview. Um, I encourage y'all guys, if you came in midway, halfway, whatever, go back to the beginning of the interview. I know there's a lot of questions in there. A lot of those questions uh, Claude has already answered. So that's why I encourage you to watch the interview from the beginning. But Claude, when he get a chance, either later this evening or tomorrow, when he get a chance, he'll get in the, in the comment section and he'll address, you know, the rest of those questions that we didn't have opportunity uh, to talk about doing this interview. Um, but again, guys, it's been an awesome, awesome interview. Claude, I greatly appreciate you coming on to the show. Oh, and just for the record, Claude's wife, Crystal, was the first uh, lady female cocker to ever come on journey to the pit just to see so y'all guys know and 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 i encourage y'all guys to go back i think i have our interview on youtube but go back and watch her interview because crystal talks about the other side of little creek she didn't talk about n- everything that claude talked about tonight crystal did, his wife didn't talk about none of that stuff so it's actually two different interviews from the same farm but two different perspectives because they got two different total responsibilities so i encourage y'all guys to go back and watch crystal's interview because she talks about all the other stuff how the yard is ran how she feed i mean it's a whole lot of stuff and like i said it's a whole nother interview and it's over an hour long it's about an hour and a half long so again guys i encourage y'all to go if y'all want to see the other half or the other side of little creek farm go and watch crystal bond's uh interview which is awesome um, and Claude came on tonight and gave the second half of the interview to other stuff that Crystal didn't talk about. He gave as a wealth of information, guys. Again, I promise you, it's something you learn. I learned something from every interview. I learned that this one, that that technique with that brooder, that that catch cage in a brooder, um, given the 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 um, apple cider vinegar and and electrolytes throughout the whole time. I mean, every single day, I'd have never thought you would give it to him every day, but obviously it's working. You're giving it every single day and you're not having any problems, any kind of defects or any kind of drawbacks from giving them that water like that with that mix in it every single day and today and today become stags. Correct? Yes, sir. Yep. That's it. That's what I'm saying, dude. That that's one of the reasons I say when somebody tell you something can't be done, 
I always run into somebody who's doing the exact same thing they said couldn't be done. I find somebody doing it and it's working. A lot of people told me that couldn't be done. A lot of people told me, no, I only give it to them a couple times a week. You don't want to give them to them more than a couple times a week because this, 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 and this. And now you come on the show. And like I give it to them every day for about six months in a row, every single day for six months in a row. So again, guys, that's why it's important. And Claude made, made a point out of it to keep a very open mind. Just because something didn't work for somebody else doesn't mean it ain't going to work for you. And just because it worked for somebody else don't mean it will work for you. So that's pretty much it. That's all I got. Claude, you got any closing words, man, before we close this two-hour interview out? I just want to tell you thank you, Jim. You're a heck of a guy, and I appreciate all you do for the Cockin fraternity and the community and the and the, the knowledge you're trying to, to put out there, but the, the positive light that you put on us is, man, that's so invaluable, it's not even funny. I mean, you are a true good representation of what I want people to think of when they think of, of rooster fighters. Well, I greatly appreciate those kind words, brother. And I can say it is not easy, but I just try to be myself. I know mm -hmm. some people love me, some people hate me, but I say at least you know who I am. You like me if you do. You don't like me if I don't. But I just believe that it is time. It is time to highlight the other aspects of who we are. This world only knows a snapshot of who we are, and it's always been the worst. You know, it's like a woman going to a pageant as soon as she get out the bed. Nobody wants to, you know, that's not my photo. Yeah, that's not my photo face when I'm rolling out of the bed. You know, let me get up, wash my face, put my makeup on, all that kind of stuff. And that's the way I feel about feel about with, with Cockers. We have gotten the worst rap because nobody wanted to give the other highlights of the sport. We God fearing, we hard working, we family oriented. And I always keep saying this and something we can never overlook. Cockers are nation builders. I don't care where you go in the world, where the nation builders. When you went to Mexico, those cockers were farmers, electricians, bus drivers, you know, whatever, cashiers or whatever the case is. When you went to the Philippines, it's the same thing. No matter where you go in the world, Colombia, Vietnam, Cambodia, Brazil, Puerto Rico, Ecuador, we all nation builders, and nobody highlights that. Nobody highlights the hard work. Nobody highlights the dedication. We feed in the freezing cold, the pouring down rain. We don't go on vacations. We revolve our life around these birds. We give them the best care, and nobody highlights that. And that's what I've seen. I haven't been in game foul by eight years, and my own experience is with Puerto Rico. And it's a lot different there because it's legal, it was totally legal, and everything is highlighted. They're well-respected over there. You know, you got doctors, you got lawyers, and all of that. That's cockers. So they get to highlight the best parts of it. Here, when I came here and started to travel the country, y'all got the worst rap in the world. And you know what? It's a small portion of the community that they are 100% right about. The people that they're talking about is a very small portion of the community. So I feel as though... I try to do everything that I can to highlight what I call the 362 because the last three and the trophies been highlighted since the beginning of time. What that's was right. never highlighted is what's been going on in the 362, and that's where the dedication comes in, the sacrifice comes in, the family-oriented come in, the God-fearing come in, all the hard work. That's where it comes in at. And now we'll not veer away from that because that is the perception that's 99.9% .9 of this community that needs to be showed to the world. And if that's all we present to them, then they can't find that other little snippet that they 
boost all over the place to paint us, you know, in a certain way. So, again, like I said, I greatly appreciate the kind words, but that's my goal. The whole goal of Journey to the Pit 362 is to educate one million cockers all over the world. Many people thought it was it couldn't be done, but I promise you, one show at a time, I'm changing their mind. That's right. <laughs> one show at a time. So that's pretty much what it is, guys. We're going to let Claw go. It's over two hours. Like I always say, stay focused, stay positive, stay blessed. I'll see y'all tomorrow, same place, same time, 9 p.m. Eastern. It will be the second to the last, second to the last interview of our marathon series, 10 interviews back to back to back to help us get through this quarantine. I hope y'all guys are enjoying it. I hope it gives us something to talk about. I hope it put a smile on our face, and I hope we can rem reminisce about the good times and know that our best days are ahead. So, Claude, you have a great night. I will talk to you soon, and thanks once again for coming on. Thanks, brother. You too. All right, brother. I'll see y'all later, man. All right, guys. Have a good night. That was Claude Vaughn with Little Creek Farms. Um, again, we appreciate him coming on. He'll get to y'all guys' questions and comments later on, uh, either today or tomorrow. I'll see y'all guys tomorrow, same place, same time, uh, with the next to the last interview of our 10 interview series back to back to back to help us get through this quarantine. Have a good night. Stay focused, stay positive, and we'll all stay blessed.